foto Mikey Arriba yeah. We bought ourselves a mic Sorry to bother you, but we're a podcast We bought a mic We, we, we bought we a mic bought a Meg bike. Ryan a mic Richard Gear Microphone Michelle Fight Bought a mic Rupert bought a mic We bought a mic We bought a Motello Trump pack Hello. Welcome to We Bought a Mic. How you guys doing? Oh, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing well. It's I'm, a late night. It's a late night pod, and I'm ready to do it. And, I'm, and we got some chewy sprees. If the listeners were keenly listening last week, they would have heard me loudly chewing the whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> so the same bag of sprees is here. This time we're mixing beer and sprees. Yes. Not a good combination, but we keep doing it. We'll see about that. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the show. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley, and I'm Drew Dietzen, and, and we're here, and we have is... we have a good amount to talk about this week. Yeah, um, we saw a movie called Sorry to Bother You, mm. and we're finishing up our Mission Impossible rewatch. Yeah, or in my case, starting. You're just going to work backwards. Saw, yeah, and go five, my, four, three, two, one. My first ever Mission Impossible I saw, and I'll, I'll give, I'll tell you guys what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's get right into it with the FIFA World Cup. Mm. Today was the final wrapped up, um, and we didn't talk about it last week when we had Colin on. Um, so let's do a Colin little. Colin doesn't do sports. Yeah, well, is sports really pop culture? Uh, it's it's. It's culture. If you ask the Snyder Collin podcast, they probably say only baseball. No. It's half of pop culture. You know, just because of inside baseball. Only thing Colin cares about is, is Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> oh, God. Um, all right. Well, last time we talked, um, you know, Spain was out. Argentina was out. Portugal was out. And then came the rest of the round of 16 with that amazing Belgium-Japan game that really solidified Belgium as, like, one of the main favorites to win the cup. Like, that was probably one of the best games. And uh, then we had our Colombia-England matchup that we bet on. But you still owe me money for I, it. I, I owe $110. We bet $100,000 on the match. My, yeah, the, the farm and that's like livestock. That's almost half of our profits from We Bought a Mic. <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, a third. I bet my mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have two mics right now. Ernest is leaning over the table to yeah. talk. We bet a mic. <laughs> and then came the quarterfinals um, with France, you know, easily edging out Uruguay and the Belgium Brazil game being a little anticlimactic for as good of a matchup as it that was. But been. I mean, that was kind of one of the bigger upsets of the tournament, just that. Brazil coming into the tournament were huge, huge favorites. I know that they were the team that I predicted to win the tournament, to win the whole thing, just because they seemed like the most complete team. But Belgium really surprised a lot of people coming out there. I know, really, there wasn't any debate about the quality of their players. It was mostly about their management, because going into qualifying and everything else, they kind of made some questionable uh, coaching decisions, specifically yeah. not playing all their best players at the same time, which is very... Uh, head scratchy but they they still played like a really solid winning team and they never gave up i mean that was uh, that was definitely evident in the japan game and they this, went down two goals you know, and then this, came back this world cup was full of extra times and penalty shootouts and like these players were being pushed to their fucking limits and yeah. belgium was one of those teams but the one that really really had 
to deal with this shit was Croatia. Mm. They had three back-to-back games go to penalties, and they won yeah. all of them. They somehow became the likable underdog. Croatia. Oh, they really yeah. were. Yeah. People people were really rooting for Croatia. Um, and then England coming out, winning. They beat Colombia, and then they beat Sweden. Yeah. So that takes us to the semis. Which really, I mean, England... Looking at it, just whenever you saw the bracket shakeout, it was just like if they can get past Colombia, then I don't see a way for them not to make it to yeah. the finals. But Croatia just they proved just this level of resiliency, and I mean they had the attacking with Modric and yeah. Rakitic. I so, I personally yeah. loved watching England absolutely blow it because that's, <laughs> that's what they always do. And they this, do. This was supposed to be the year. It was a big meme in England, like it's coming home. It's coming home. Yeah, um, and it was which, not coming home. Yeah, and I. I don't know. The whole time I was like, I I think they blo- there are some teams out there. I don't watch a lot of international soccer, obviously, but in just generally in sports, there are some teams that just can't not blow it. Yeah, did you guys it, did you guys hear about this Justin Timberlake shit? What he um was playing his tour was stopping in uh, England during the the semi against um, Croatia, and he like basically delayed his show. So that people attending the show could see the game on oh, no. his like screens, and he was like, "Yeah, like football's coming home. Like I'm such a big England fan. We're gonna do this. We I set this up. It's gonna be great, you know." And then <laughs> Croatia oh beat isn't that England. emblematic of so, JT's career the last five years? Like, what is he doing? Just imagine like England loses, and then he has to go out there and play fucking man of the woods. <laughs> He can't just like call it call it yeah, off. He has to go and be like, "I got the supplies." So, supplies. Everyone's like, "Oh." So, um, I just stop. wanted to bring up. It's funny that you were talking about football teams that can't uh, actually follow through whenever they're definitely the best team out there. It's funny because because the, the Patriots are your favorite team. No, um, <laughs> shut your fucking mouth. So. The leading player, the player who went on to get the golden boot for the most goals in the tournament was Harry Kane. And Harry Mm. Kane actually plays for Tottenham. And Tottenham is always like at the top of the rankings every year up until like the last month of the season. And then they always go to like a Chelsea or a Man City or Shouts to Harry Kane. Harry Harry Kane, he kind of came out of nowhere a couple years ago. And he's very likable as personality. Yeah, he's just a great person. I mean, he's only 24 years old. So we're going to definitely be seeing him at the next couple World Cups. All of England is really young. Yeah, but... But speaking of young players, fucking France, dude. Let's talk about Mbappe. Yeah. Mbappe went from being the most beloved player in the world to probably the most hated player in the world. (laughs) Really over the course of like two games. Aside from Neymar. Yeah. Everyone hates Neymar. Because, I mean, watching him play, he makes... It's like James Harden in the NBA. He makes it... It's He does whatever it takes to win, and he's very talented. But the things he does make him unwatchable. I saw a, a stat that at one point in the tournament, he was on the field twice as much as the second most person who was on the field. Really? <laughs> or, 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 who was, like, laying down on the floor. Oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. Just because he always is there diving and just, like, throwing his body. And yeah. he does get fouled a lot of times yeah, just still, because he's known for that. Soccer but, game James Harden. Well, I, yeah. I think that France came into the final so strong. Like, they barely struggled. Like, they beat out Argentina so easily. You know, they never really had a true challenge in this cup. They made it look so easy every single game. And Croatia really had to fight. Croatia, always the underdog, Mm -hmm. being pushed to these overtimes and penalty shootouts. So going into the final, like, of course, Croatia was the ultimate underdog. But watching the game today, like, Croatia held it together the entire game. They were so strong, so defensing. 
the defensive, very like attacking all the time, really good moves. They just didn't have the goals. I mean, and yeah, it's it was kind of sad the way that shook out. One thing that kind of bothered me with France was it seemed like anytime that I watched a game with them, it always seemed like they had another level and they never reached that extra level the entire tournament and they still won like I would have loved to see France against Brazil like I feel like that would have been an all-time great great match but France kind of especially with some of the upsets that happened earlier on in the tournament they never really seemed like they were 100% tested but it didn't matter I mean they're lifting the trophy so yeah Yeah. some teams play to the level of the competition and they they do just better than the competition you know well I mean and in soccer like you win if you get goals so really it we're, we're sucks, but, into John Madden territory more, right more now. So, more so than that, I mean, France had like the best defense of the tournament. Like when you just look at their back line of uh, uh, Titi and I mean Prevard, and then even yeah. that midfield is just like Pogba and Conte just like holding it down. I mean, just watching the the final today, like I could tell how hard France was working to maintain that lead. And Croatia just kept trying and trying and trying and trying and trying over and over. I think Croatia had over 15 shots. They weren't all on target, but they I mean, did Fran- not get Croatia up. had 61% possession wow. in the game. Like, Croatia was dominating yeah. the possession, especially because in the second half they were down and they were just hey, I mean, trying to do their thing. Number two in the world ain't so bad, you know? And I think France... They deserve it, and I'm excited to see what they do moving forward. Such a young team. Euro Cup is in two years, so they'll they'll be you know the favorite going into that. Um, All right. You guys have any last thoughts before we move on? Uh, uh, next next World Cup. I have a note. Not in the morning, please. Yeah, where is the next World Cup? It's is in it Qatar. Qatar. No, that hasn't gotten moved yet. I thought that that all got like whenever the whole FIFA scandal happened. They were nah, like, yeah, they're dude. definitely getting oil yeah. money. Oh, of course, they, they had already started building all the stadiums. But hey, two World Cups from now, it'll be in America. Yeah, yeah. FIFA's incredibly corrupt. Yeah, if we you could, don't know. We could have a whole conversation yeah. about how fucked up it and, is that Russia had to host oh, this. Well, and, and, the, like, and currently in Qatar, the human rights violations happening with the building of these stadiums. So many people are just straight dying. They're building this yeah. in a yeah. fucking desert. Yeah. Why? That's the worst idea that I've ever heard in my life. It's like, going like, hey, to be in the middle of the yeah. summer and we're going to build stadiums where it's just it's an oil nation. Like that's all the money that they have. It's an oil nation. Also, before we move on, I wanted to mention that I saw um, there was one moment where the game stopped. Because people ran onto the field. Mm. Later on, I found out it was Pussy Riot. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I saw that Pussy Riot and French uh, punk rock and Killian group. Mbappe have like they they high fived yeah. each other. Not at one French, point. Uh, Russian. Sorry. Yeah, um, but that was one of the coolest images from the whole tournament. Was seeing uh, one of the uh, members of Pussy Riot high fiving Killian Mbappe on the field. That's great. <laughs> All right, uh, that's the FIFA World Cup. We'll see you again in four years if we're still alive. (laughs) And now let's get to the Emmys. Nominations are out, and there's so, so many categories that we're not going to be able to get into all of them. (laughs) So I just kind of want to get into some of the surprises and snubs. Um, I'm going to, you know, kind of shoot my... um, my main ones here but you guys can chime in if i miss anything i think the big one is the good place Mm. no nomination for best uh comedy and no nomination for Kristen bell only ted danson ted Ted danson Danson, that's a good one i really like that but he he was lead actor and i would not say he's a lead actor he's not like why did he go i mean i mean it's a true ensemble it's whatever they submit i mean lead actor is a little bit less uh 
Uh, well, actually, I take that back. <laughs> lead actor is a fucking dangerous category to be in for a comedy series. We have Donald Glover, Bill Hader, who I think should win over Donald Glover, to be honest. Ted Danson, William H. Macy, has Larry Macy, David. Has Macy ever won? He's always nominated. I don't think he's ever won for Shameless, actually. Yeah, you know, really he's always nominated. I, I would wager to say that Brian Tyree Henley, Henry got more screen time this season than Donald Glover did. And yet he's nominated for supporting actor. Well, again, it's how they submit. Yeah, it's exactly. what they think is the It's a politics best, game, and yeah. he, Donald Glover is emblematically the leading man of the show because he made it. Mm-hmm. So I get it, but like, it's stupid. Yeah, I, I mean, I think supporting actor for a comedy series is kind of a two-man race between Brian Tyree Henry and Henry Winkler. I really could see Henry Winkler winning it just for name recognition yo, alone. Yo, if Barry got both of these car- categories, that'd be huge. Yeah, I mean... I would be fine with Atlanta and uh, Barry splitting it. Mm-hmm. So if it went hater... Uh, Brian Tyree that would be the best that's how I think that it should me. go can we, can we talk about how it's a big year for Mrs. Maisel <laughs> a show that none of us I mean, finished we all watched the pilot of it and yep. it was solid the pilot was good it's solid. Solid. the pilot's good it is all over this list yeah it is like so much Maisel well you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this but uh, you know what's also all over this list mm-hmm. fucking Westworld mm-hmm it's everywhere. Is that se- it's season one? I of can't Westworld. keep defending this show. Yeah, like I can't. I can't do it. Okay. I can't. How can Jeffrey Wright and Ed Harris both be nominated for lead actor? That's stupid. Yeah, that's Fuck that, it's, man. that's dumb. This we might as well just say now uh, because my last take on Westworld was that I I was on the verge of being like Hunter and just being super negative. I recently watched season two, episode eight fucking loved it yeah why um, isn't the whole show like yeah, that amazing we'll get into that at some other point not today but i just are you are you still planning on finishing oh ab- after yeah. episode eight i'm revitalized on westworld yeah you, dude, i'm telling you hunter dude, i watched finale, just man. episode eight okay, i, I really want to talk about the it's finale. an amazing episode okay okay let's but yeah so snl always gets a ton of nominations and this year the past I would say the past four years the only nominations that it deserves are for the leading actresses because it's had a really strong female cast for the past five years, and nothing else about the show has been strong for the past five years. And who, yet, it just, who has won? I know McKinnon's got a couple. McKinnon, McKinnon okay. yeah, McKinnon, and then uh, did Tina Fey win back in the day? I, I would guess Amy so. Poehler. I would guess not. Poehler, Faye, I, w- Faye. I would guess Faye did. If not for that, she was also the head writer, so maybe she was involved there. Yeah, yeah writing but, wins. The show is not strong enough to have this many nominations. People in showbiz love it because it is a feat of endurance and it's, you know, a stalwart of the industry. It's always been there and it's it is impressive that they do it on a one week schedule, but it's just it's always all over the list. I do want to immediately uh contradict myself and give mad props to Keenan for getting his first nomination. Dude, though. that's yeah. a big deal. Keenan deserves cool. it. Cause, yeah. yeah, he's been rock steady for a long time. I honestly I cannot fucking believe that this is his first nomination. That well, is unreal to yeah. me. And it's But he's been doing a lot of great work this this newest yeah, he's, season. He's he only gets better really. He his timing I don't think I've never seen anyone as comfortable on SNL as he is now because he's been there like fifteen years. Like he just has this level of his timing is always perfect. He always is he's never facing the wrong way. He's never messing up a line. He does everything pitch perfect so that's good but alec baldwin on the other hand yeah alec baldwin nominated i just no. i really want Hard to talk no. about outstanding drama series it's pretty rough list we have game of thrones which just had it's by far its weakest season 
that's what's being nominated was the most recent season stranger things <laughs> this is the f- i think this may be the first emmys where i look at this list of outstanding drama series and i'm just like eh. yeah well, yeah we like, don't, I have, don't care about any we don't have these. the old like we don't have breaking bad we don't have Mad Men anymore we don't have those ones that used to be in every single year you know i mean i don't watch handmaid's tale but that one last year and i could see it winning again yeah. this yeah, is us is this- in there this yeah. is us as a phenomenon. People really are attached. My to that mom show. keeps telling me to watch it. I, I I'll I, get around to it. That's one the day. slogan. This is us. Your mom tells so, you to watch it. <laughs> if, <laughs> out of all of these, the one I want to watch the most is The Americans. That yeah, one. I've always I've yeah. watched the first season of The Americans. It was really good. Oh, it's but a I good just show. Fell off. It's on just it. there's a lot of it at this yeah. point to yeah. watch. It's fi- It just ended this season, and it's been like six years probably. Mm-hmm. All so. right. So while we're on the top of dramas, let's get into limited series because I know specifically. <sighs> Between me and Ernest, we have beef. Dude, this is the, the main reason Tell why. Tell me how yeah. Genius Picasso <laughs> got a fucking nomination and Patrick Melrose and The Alienist, which is on TNT, by the way. Those got nominated for Best Limited Series over Twin Peaks The Return. Kill me. Kill Are me, Are you dude. fucking kidding me? Really? Peaks really? Got- I thought you meant that you had beef with each other, and I thought that I thought that Ernest was about to ride for Genius Picasso. Yeah. I was like, "What? Like, yo, dude, Nat Geo, it's the best show on there." Yeah. I mean, it, Twin Peaks has uh, nominations for directing and writing, which hopefully it'll win. But I, honestly I doubt don't see it. it. Honestly, especially if I've heard that they released uh, episode eight is the episode that they're no. showing for people for Emmyverse, which I think that episode is like the best thing that I've ever seen put on television. Like that's the best hour that I've ever seen. But the average Emmy viewer is gonna be like what the fuck am i watching and they're gonna turn it off 15 minutes in (laughs) and it's not gonna like really more so because i wasn't even expecting it to get much love i was really really hoping that kyle mclaughlin would get some love i mean that's the big we saw ewan mcgregor get love for a dual role last year for fargo for fargo and kyle mclaughlin played three characters that were all wholly unique from each other so so this list wants me to believe that Antonio Banderas played Picasso <laughs> as, as in, a li- <laughs> in a limited series. Yeah, this is yep. not a joke. On Nat Geo. No, I don't think that happened, and I don't. I refuse to be corrected. That's not even real. <laughs> yes, oh, this boy. is a real thing that happened. What are you even talking about? Um, <laughs> that sounds like a simulation. Another another kind of uh, lesser surprise is that Amelia Clark and Kit Harington were both left out for Game of Thrones, um, and you know, like. There was an off year for Thrones last year, so it wasn't even nominated. But now it's like back with the. It's weaker season, but it's it's just surprising that they were shunned out well, over yeah, Westworld. We have well, we have two Westworlds and two This Is Us and Jason Bateman for Ozark. What? Yeah, which I never oh, yeah, really, I, I never really got into well, Ozark. I know a lot of people love it. People, but. Well, people like it, but no one is saying it deserves any awards. I mean, right. I love Jason Bateman and I'm happy for him, but. I don't know. Give him an Arrested Development. Hey, Hunter, what do you think of uh, Sandra Oh for Killing Eve? Yo, hey. I'm, I'm really happy about that. Overall, I think Killing Eve should have won. It should have gotten nominated for a lot more shit. This like, is like its lone uh, It really should have gotten some more love for limited series, for I think, acting. Get, really, because all around, um, I'm blanking on the name, but the the woman who plays the, uh, the, oh, the Russian yeah. assassin. She's great. Oh, she wait. is incredible oh, is in yeah. that show. Like She's arguably puts up a better performance Kill, than Sandra well, Oh. Killing Eve has gotten a lot of steam in the past 
past like few months specifically so it's been kind of a late head of steam to get him yeah. yeah but Who's, i mean so it was like barry and stuff like that and that still was able to get enough momentum. i mean it, i'm surprised I, I really was expecting killing eve to do better but yeah i'm really happy for sandra oh she like does not get enough work just because she's not young or attractive so but she's a great actress Dude, so. that's that's right isn't it crazy it's true though, isn't it I mean, crazy that there are eight uh shows nominated for best comedy series yeah so, i didn't pay attention to that but one thing i did think was really cool was atlanta got two nominations for best directing for fubu and for teddy perkins so that's donald glover and hero mariah yeah. yeah nice both of them got uh, nominated interesting oh yeah which is really cool i wasn't expecting fubu of all the yeah. episodes i mean the episode is really like it's kind of a well it's really well directed life. yeah that's one of the best uh, who's, things about that who's episode. uh who's your horse in um animated show and what's on there? Uh, we got um, something called Baymax. Return. Oh, Big Hero Six, Bob's Burgers, Rick and Morty, The Simpsons, and South Park. That's that's interesting. I probably say Rick and Morty. I don't know if it. The episode is Pickle Rick. That's a that's a big snub it? for BoJack. Am I am I crazy? BoJack and uh, Big Mouth. BoJack is a lot and better. And Big Mouth, yeah. yeah. But Big Mouth is not so much an Emmy show. BoJack is I don't, way better than The Simpsons. I don't think. Bojack has ever been nominated. Yeah. Which is kind of Bojack is like very high concept too. Like you think that that would be yeah. it's very much like about Hollywood and well, stuff like that. You I feel mean, like it would appeal to Yeah, the, the thing kind is of I, a, a lot of the Emmys in every warp show is what the company decides to push. So Netflix is apparently not trying to get Bojack nominated. Before we uh before we move on from this, I want to say that it's pretty crazy that for the first time Modern Family was not nominated for best comedy Thank series. Thank God, dude. It was nominated every single year for the past what like eight years or something yeah seven and the, years and their actors were winning awards over steve carell for like three of those years <laughs> and i'll never forgive modern family for that it's crazy um, crazy so another thing uh i quickly wanted to bring up i knew that this wasn't going to happen but i was holding out some glimmer of hope especially because i knew like we should say this is the first time in years that hbo hasn't had the most nominations of anything. Netflix Netflix, got it. And I was kind of holding out some kind of a hope maybe American Vandal would get some love. It's nominated for best limited series, which is weird limited because they announced the season two. Maybe it's it's not really a limited series. Maybe it's nominated. Well, maybe it'll be a different uh, concept in season two. Um, Well, they confirmed that the two uh, director characters are are coming back. The two filmmaker characters. I hope that's good. Peter, I think Peter and Sam it were seemed, their names. Yeah, I, I hope that's good because it seems like the first season was a real open and shut case. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'll be something different, but I'm really glad that they're nominated. Yeah, I love that show, man. I love that show so much. If if you haven't seen American Vandal, that's number one yeah. on your list right now. Watch it. Can, uh, can I just give a hot take? Are you ready? Yeah. If Somebody Feed Phil wins Best Outstanding <laughs> Original Main Title Theme Music... I'm never watching television again. It got nominated just for the main title theme music. <laughs> main title theme music. I wish Somebody I remembered that. Somebody feed Phil. Somebody feed Phil sucks, first of all. <laughs> if g- it wins a goddamn Emmy. No, Phil created I'm Everybody done. Loves Raymond. He's drowning in cash, and he's like, yeah, I can afford to make my own show Netflix. Netflix actually has like four of the six nominees for original theme music. Also, Godless and The Defenders are on there. What? Godless, I really want to finish Godless. I started it, and it's it's just such a slow True. burn of a show. You know, to be honest, there should be a category for just food shows like yeah I'm there's kind of surprised so that there isn't. so that has been the biggest boom in the tv market in the past 10 years there's so many food shows we got to get a category in there you know what get get guy fieri and emmy exactly what i'm saying 
Okay. Uh, so American Vandal wasn't nominated for best limited series. It was nominated for outstanding writing for a limited series. That's the only nomination it, it got. There's so many goddamn categories yeah. in the hey, 80s. It's kind of um, annoying. Uh, Assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story, got some love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was cool. I, re- I really enjoyed that show. I liked it. I never finished it because I feel like it's like two episodes, two or three episodes mm. too long. But. True. All right. Well, that's the Emmys. We'll get into it more when they actually happen in September. In September? Oh, I think Christ. So. I, yeah. mean, I won't even care by then. <laughs> uh, let's get into what we've been listening. We got new music from Childish Gambino. Yeah. Two new songs. Two songs. They, they're they not uh, as heavy hitting as This Is America. They're yeah. not having you know such a, a message. They are really just summer feel songs. Yeah. Like they're- so one of them is called Summertime... Um, summertime magic magic which on first listened i was so bored i was put <laughs> to sleep by that song but now that i've kind of listened to it a couple times i've it's Screw grown me. it's grown on yeah. me the other one though um love or feels like summer feels like summer love that song yeah that's that's, that's great, definitely the better song I th- yeah, yeah i think song. i think these are both really solid songs um it's interesting to see what he does musically that he's obviously not on the funkadelic wave that he was on with awaken my love um, and he's not on the previous Gambino wave of being, you know, like kind of a punchline can't be rapper. Well, I mean, but this kind of feels very Kawhi of like this Stone Mountain yeah. Kawhi double EP that he released. Like this feels very, very Kawhi between these two songs and that song he performed on Saturday Night Live um, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah. that that wasn't on here because it feels like that would just blend yeah. right in with these It'll other two songs. It'll be on the songs. album, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I was just talking about with someone about the... Uh, his career arc musically is really fascinating because I think after because the internet I think he poured so much of his soul and energy into that album and it was still not well received and I think since then he's just been kind of like switching identities to like you know he did a funkadelic album that's not truly him but it's like one facet of him he contains multitudes you know yeah. Yeah. so he well, did he, that and now he's won, doing this summer stuff he won a couple Grammys for that for, for awake, because the internet yeah. no for Awaken yeah, yeah, Awake My, My Love yeah people like that but it, I just don't think it was he had spent like like eight years crafting a persona and eventually I think he just kind of gave up on that persona. I mean, you can tell when like listening to because the internet that that is a very like personal, it feels like it's like you're like re- listening to like his inner thoughts yeah. and everything. And then, and then, I mean, this has always bothered me. And then Pitchfork gives it like a four out of 10. They don't even mention the short films that comes attached the to screenplay and the, yeah, the long screenplay it comes attached to. They're just like, yeah, it doesn't make sense when all the context <laughs> yeah. is right there for you. Yeah. Um, and I think he, since then he's just been like, I'm just going to do some different shit. And so he did Stone Mountain Kauai and now this, it's really interesting. I think genuinely, I, I've always been shocked that the song Sober never got on like FM radio. It's a it, great song. It's an incredible It's very, very it's, catchy. It's too, accessible, like... it's it's easy, and it's a good song at the same time. Never got FM play. Um but these songs are yeah, they're in that same vein and they're I think they're good songs. I like them. I'm yeah. I'm excited to hear the album. I, I think they're definitely not as good as uh This Is America. But I'm kind of glad that yeah. he released something like this where it's it wasn't light. just like Yeah, because then otherwise if he released another like very like political song than people have been expecting like oh yeah like a very highly political album here we go and he would have been like oh well that was just like four of the 12 songs on the album so it was, I feel like it was a smart move by him to just we, release like some good smooth summer songs we don't know when the album's coming out do we nope huh he has not said anything mm. yeah it'll be out this year at some point 
Yeah, um, I would definitely assume so. All right. So um, last week, so, Colin beat Hunter to the punch with what Hunter's about to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to talk a little bit about the two new 21 Pilot singles. <laughs> Yo, I listened to them. They're not good. They are fucking horrendous. Wow. Specifically, the song Jumpsuit made me want to fucking like suffocate myself in a jumpsuit <laughs> while also drowning and killing myself. And then I tried to put on the second song, Nico and the Niners. I got <laughs> 45 seconds in and I was like, why am I doing that this? That sounds like a quirky why am indie, I doing this indie comedy movie. So instead of finishing that song, I went back to listen to again, the new death heaven album, ordinary corrupt human love. So um, as Colin was saying last week, it released a week early through NPR.com. You could like, preview the album and all that kind of stuff but i was like that's too much of a pain in the ass i'm just gonna wait till it's actually comes released and now it is it's out um so i've been a big death heaven fan for a while i know i talked about the songs uh canary yellow and honeycomb the singles off the album whenever they came out um i really think this might be their best and their most accessible album yet um this album it's it's feels strangely subdued while also being extremely cinematic in a weird way. Um, so a little bit of backstory after, uh, after the band made new Bermuda, they really, a couple of the members really struggled with, uh, drug addiction and with this kind of creative block that they were in. That was after sunbather. Yeah. New Bermuda, uh, came out in 2015 and new Bermuda is actually my favorite album by, uh, death heaven. I just think that's the most complete album. But they talked about how they really had this struggle with kind of finding refinding their identity, kind of advancing this progress that they made as a band and then as well as drugs. So it took a few years, but they came out with Ordinary Corrupt Human Love. And this album is it's just very uh, cohesive, unlike their other albums. It definitely still has a little bit of like this dark metal to it. However, there's a lot of like alternative rock in here. Um, on the first song in the album, You Without End, there's a main guitar riff that sounds like it would fit in with a Modest Mouse song, just like with a little bit more nice. distortion behind it. Um, Canary Yellow, I absolutely love that song. That song sounds like... It makes me feel like I'm like watching a movie that's like hitting into the third act. That's how I feel whenever I watch that, uh, whenever I listen to that song. And then we have the song Near that comes right after that. And Near is just like a four minute love song that's truly beautiful. Like there's no screaming in it. It's this really, really sweet uh, song just about like wishing you were near. It's just kind of this like thing Aww. that just repeats throughout Wish the whole album. Wish you were near. This and it's kind of funny <laughs> reference Pink Floyd because this feels very space rocky in a way that a lot of their other stuff doesn't feel like. Um, also, uh, moving on further into the album, uh, we have the song "Night People," which is actually a duet between the lead singer Screamer and Chelsea Wolfe. I don't know if you guys are familiar with who Chelsea Wolfe no. is. She's like a singer songwriter, but. Between that, uh, Glint is another like absolute banger. Really, the guitar... Because, I mean, Death Heaven, they do something interesting with their uh, song structures where a lot of the times they open up their songs with a solo. And this album has some of the best work of just leading into a song where it just kind of takes you on this little like minute and a half, two-minute ride leading up to the actual start of the song. That is really, really beautiful. And then finally, the last, the closer on the album, Worthless Animal, is a great end to the album. It's very punchy. It just feels kind of like you're experiencing this whole climax. I 
I absolutely love this album. I'm not. This is honestly one of my favorite albums of the year. Already. Definitely like, top three. Oh yeah, yeah. I, right now. Um, gut reaction. I have it at number two. Whoa. I really think this could be like this. This album is kind of the perfect album for a genre. I can't really imagine the band doing anything better than this. Damn, uh, I got to check it out. I, even, I listened to the first song and I really dug it. So yeah, it's I'll keep it's, it's definitely their most accessible album. Like there is still some screaming in it, but it's almost like. Uh, I feel like they're on the same label, but uh, it's almost like they kind of remixed a little bit. And the screaming is just, it almost sounds like it's another instrument as opposed to it being right on the That's forefront. That's what I was about to ask. Yeah. yeah. It feels like, I mean, really the guitar and the drums are kind of the main. <laughs> Ernest was about to be like, does the screaming sound like another instrument? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I seriously was. <laughs> no, no, no. Because it... And uh, some of their other albums, and Nubir Muta kind of started this, where the way that he screams, it's more so just kind of sounds like you get it stuck in your head, not for like lyrically or anything like that, but almost just because it like, it's the same way where you get like a guitar riff stuck in your head. That's kind of the same way to kind of compare it to something like that. And this, it almost feels like the, um, the screaming is tuned down even more, so it just it's just kind of in the background it's like, it's fueling like an this whole sound type sound. Yes. Yeah. That's why I kind of compare it to like this, like space Rocky kind of sound is what mm. it, it feels like it all a lot feels of reverb very, and echo. It's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like swans where it's just like a wall of sound hitting you. It's a little bit more subdued than that, but it overall, it's just, it's wonderfully mixed, uh, beautifully written. It's catchy. Uh, in the right way, which is why a lot of people hate Death Heaven, like metalheads, because they're like, oh, metal isn't supposed to be catchy. You're not <laughs> supposed to know the beat of where a metal song's going, but that's fucking stupid. Yeah, that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I like music that sounds good. <laughs> well, I'm I'm excited to check it out. I, I Like I said, I listened to the first song and I dug it, so I'll, right. I'll let you know my thoughts next week once I dive deeper into Death Heaven, Ordinary Corrupt Human Love. Whoa. Let's get into what we've been watching now. Um, right. Drew, what you got? I'm, I'm springing this guy on you right now, you guys. I'm, we're going to have a quick episode of Drew's Obscure Comedy Corner. Again? Yeah. Wow. Man, two weeks in I'm a happy. row. Yeah. Is this three weeks in a I, row? I think I told, may have told you about this show, Hunter, but last yeah, week, did. I think, was it last? No, it was a couple weeks ago. I talked a little bit about the show, 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Count On. It's mm -hmm. a British variety show. Available to watch on YouTube. Very good. A game show that's refreshing because the people on it are actually funny and the game part of it is actually pretty difficult. This, that was, that was just a warm up. This show, it's called Would I Lie to You? You may have seen clips of Question. this show. What? Is it in the Lie to Me TV universe? Uh, yeah. I mean, the guy in Lie to Me is British. <laughs> See, so that's, that okay, was my yeah. thought. Yeah. No, this show is true like i will ride for this show i think this is like eight out of ten cast does countdown i i said last week it's good passive it's watching cute. it's good in the background and it's truly clever and it's truly a smart show this show is on another level this is kind of what i've been wanting because it's a show with like it's like a reality it's a game show but it's so engaging that you don't feel like your brain is rotting like you would with like a wheel of fortune or in america like you would with a variety talk show like a jimmy fallon or whatever where no one's actually that funny the this show the way it works is there it's a panel show like every every single show in britain is a panel show <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> comedians they don't even do comedy they just go on every panel show every day <laughs> um and it's better for it because it's a panel show where there are two teams um 
there are two team captains that are there every week. One is David Mitchell, who is the co-creator of the insanely acclaimed show Peep Show. Mm-hmm. Um, R.I.P. Oh, re- really? Yeah, is he, yeah. Oh, which guy is he on Peep he's, Show? He's the brown-haired, really ugly one. Oh, okay. And not the blonde, really ugly one. Peep Show is really a great show. <laughs> like, that is an awesome it's, show. It's an amazing show. Yeah. Um, I've always meant to get more into it because every clip I've seen is hilarious. Um, so it's him on one side, and he's very intellectual and quick and funny. And then the other side is this comedian named Lee Mack, who is probably the the quickest most clever person i've ever seen in my life you don't even like him because he's too funny and this show the nature of it makes it so that there is no room for like writtenness it is all impromptu and like as someone who is really really into comedy i've never seen quickness on this level before the the rapport between these two guys because the way the show works i haven't even said yet Basically, there the first round is there are three cards. There are three people on each team, and one of them reads a card, and it either has a true fact about them that is kind of out there and weird, or a complete lie. And they read it, and if it's a lie, they've never read it before, and but they have to defend it as if it were true. And the other team gets as much time as they want to absolutely grill the shit out of these comedians <laughs> and find out if it's true or not. So it's engaging on another level because we, the audience, do not know if it's true or not. And almost every time, it's really difficult to tell. Like, you think it would be kind of easy to tell if someone's lying. The talent these people have... I don't trust the British anymore. <laughs> I never they did. They could be lying at any point. Yeah. It's just, it's it's an unbelievably great show. Like, the, the entire setup of it, the chemistry between every single guest, there's nothing in America that compares to this type of show. Is this also on YouTube? Yeah, it's available on YouTube. There's so many right. episodes available on YouTube in, like, decently high quality. It is unbelievable believable how funny this show is on like on a genuine level some jokes don't transfer because we don't get the references obviously that's gonna happen but i i am blown away every single episode at the quickness of these people like the closest comparison in america was the uh the show at midnight yeah hosted hosted by chris hardwick r.i.p um and talking midnight yeah i think i made this comparison with countdown as well but this is a more real comparison because the game itself is kind of a joke with that midnight it's not even close dude like this because it's like it's like a courtroom jury but they're all comedians and i've just never seen like a group comedy setting where it's also a game and it's also really competitive like it's kind of a perfect show for what it is it seems like the british have their shit together when it comes to these kind of like lower budget lower level shows they do and they're not just like throwing water at each other and punching each other with big hulk hands no they're so they they have variety shows so down i've wondered why there isn't an american adaptation of this show and i think it might be too smart for americans yeah like, honestly yeah it is yeah. such it's so smart david mitchell is like a cambridge guy he's he's like a genius he could be a lawyer and then this other guy lee mack is just he's good with people because he's a comedian and the quickness between the two is unfucking real well do you think that british people watch these types of shows just like american people do just like in passing in the background but they're able to follow it just because of the culture well that yeah it's it is i mean it's british centered like i said last week i think i mean britain is like any country it's fractured in a lot of ways but i think you can tell with the audience it's just they're more on the same page as as a whole like america has so much so many different angles coming in so many different locations so much 
you know everything going on that like it's hard to get a consensus from a studio audience yeah. in a TV studio. The audience for like Conan O'Brien is a bunch of tourists with different levels of comprehension of comedy. Like some of them have the lowest comprehension. They do not watch comedy and they're just like visiting LA and they just want to yeah. see it. With England it's not like that. You don't there there aren't people from other countries that come to England and they were like, hey, let's be in the audience of this variety show. <laughs> no, yeah, but... it seems like the closest American thing to that would be in Whose Lines, like Heyday, where exactly. it's just like it's people who are smart enough to understand like the yeah. genius of comedy and a- appreciate the quickness. You're of it all. exactly right. That is the best comparison, except this show is way more adversarial. Whose Line? They're working together yeah. to make something great, and I the original Whose Line I think is one of the better American uh, non fictional shows of all yeah. time. This this show is on that level where it is, it, it just kind of amazes me how good it is because it shouldn't be that good. And if it were American, I don't think it would be. I've been trying to think in my head who would, if we made an American version, who would the team captains be? Because they have to be intellectual on a level that they can pick apart an argument. And the best I could come up with... Oh, yeah, so it wouldn't be someone like Bill Hader or John Yeah, exactly. The the best I got was... The perfect person is Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah, Kumail. He's very smart, very funny. You have to be funny. Middle ditch? Um, (laughs) Maybe. Just have a whole Silicon Valley crew in there. The the other person I got was Scott Ackerman. Ackerman, I feel like, would be... Because on his show, his whole shtick is he's picking apart the improv of his guests. But the thing is, no one knows him and no one really likes him. (laughs) (laughs) But... um, I, I I can't recommend this show enough. It's I don't know how it would transfer to like you guys. I don't know like who would like it, but when I watch this show, I'm like in shock at it's how like funny it is. It's like perfect for you. It is shockingly funny. So you're you're just gonna keep diving deeper and deeper into the wormhole of British variety TV. Well, what I'm gonna do next is watch Peep Show from the beginning. Oh. Peep Show is amazing. It's on yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Isn't Peep it? Show is like it's it is. really really funny. I I kind of fell off with watching it just because there's a lot of it but I got into it because uh, one of the old managers that I worked with uh, Steven uh, he's from Britain and he like grew up like being a huge Peep Show fan and he can do a perfect impersonation of like the two guys on the show just like going back and forth with each other and I was yeah. just like oh I need to watch the show yeah, and the, it just, um, it's like it's such a smart funny like a smart yeah, comedy Netflix took Peep Show off damn oh. I'm gonna find it somewhere because David Mitchell the old stuff is on YouTube because it's very low quality it's almost like the first season of Curb Your Enthusiasm where it's yeah. like very very low quality <laughs> um, David Mitchell's comedy partner on Peep Show goes on uh, Would I Lie to You a lot oh really and it's oh, okay. on it's on Hulu they're, okay they're cool. both just so smart like the show has British problems like it could be plenty more diverse um, obviously and mm. a lot of the jokes are meaner because I feel like that's how you are with your friends and the british have a more familial feel i feel like so like they're really mean to each other and i love that but yeah i recommend this i i love it so much cool all right that is what i lie to you and you can find it on youtube so before we get to our mission possible i want to talk about the spielberg documentary on hbo that i watched this has been out for a little while i think it came out at the very end of 2017 Um, But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to go back and watch like some of these Emmy nominated things Mm. that I haven't watched. So sorry, the Americans, I'm not going to watch six seasons (laughs) of the Americans anytime soon, but I can watch like shorter things like this, like Spielberg is nominated for best uh, Fahrenheit 451. Maybe. It's nominated. Yeah. Is it? It's Shit. nominated. Oh. Yeah, it's there. Oh, another thing that's nominated is the Megan, an Emmy for Megan Amran. Yeah, I yeah. I haven't seen that yet. We didn't mention that. Yeah, Megan Amran was 
a writer for The Good Place, really good, famous on Twitter, she made a web series just to get Emmy nominations, and, and she got nominated. She got two of them. Yeah, so that's something that I've been meaning to watch. For I saw a while the first now. episode; it was pretty funny. Oh, it's it's a mini series. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was like a short. How many episodes? I don't know. I just saw the first one, and it was okay. it was pretty short. It was like ten minutes. It was cool, pretty funny. But this uh, this Spielberg documentary on HBO is super super interesting for someone like me that's been into Spielberg for. I, I mean. That's Spielberg every, is that's, the reason. Dude, that's everyone. Whether yeah. they know it or not, everyone's into Spielberg. I mean, Spielberg is the reason why I am into movies. Like, I first picked up a, a Spielberg biography at my local library when I was like nine years old or something mm. like that. So that was my way in. And yeah, of course, he's the most successful, acclaimed, recognizable. I mean, he's filmmaker. the best. He's the best popcorn director of all time. Yeah, without of a course. Doubt. It's so, not even a question. If you are a even casual fan of movie making or casual fan of 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 filmmaking and the business and even you know Steven Spielberg himself this is kind of a must watch like this is pretty much essential viewing if you consider yourself a fan of Spielberg's work you're not really going to get too much insight that you can that you can get anywhere else mm-hmm. but the way it's presented is very uh coherent and thorough it's a one part um yeah yeah it's it's a little overlong so yeah i was gonna ask because i've heard two main complaints about i've heard that it's about 20 minutes too long and it ends it should have ended like 20 minutes earlier because there's a good ending point it's about two and a half hours directing is it's more so it's kind of like where we talked about the andre the giant documentary where the subject matter elevates it better than the actual documentary i totally agree with that Yeah. yeah but the thing about that is that you know it's it's just kind of letting the interviewees tell the story there's no narration or anything That's like good. that um so and obviously you have all of this footage from all of his movies to to pull from and there's a lot of behind the scenes footage from the from the sets and all that so all that stuff is great but i think that the two main things that make this documentary a must watch is that spielberg really opens up he really talks about his youth, his upbringing, his parents' divorce, and just all of like the deep personal emotional things that he has been able to put into his movies. Like watching this documentary, I found that there's just this through line in his entire filmography that is connected to his own life and the fact that he saw his parents like his his parents' marriage fall apart. And then he felt alienated from his parents because they were breaking up. Mm, and, and then you, he was like, alienated? Aliens? Clo- <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third E.T. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Close Encounters. I mean, dude, Close Encounters is really a story about... It's a story about divorce. About divorce. Yeah. It's about a man not being a good father and a good husband and losing his family Without because really... Of it thinking that that's a movie was about you watch that movie now and you're like ah that's the yeah. one thing about closing hours is that that storyline doesn't age the best but it is very much just a story about just like oh well i can put my dreams ahead of like my love and my but, family but in a big way i think it was spielberg trying to make sense of his parents separation yeah. um other than that you know there's no big like emotional moment in this it's not a huge epic story but with full of revelations or anything like that it kind of just takes you through his entire career 
and conveniently leaves out like Hook and uh, <laughs> all the you know uh, how much Jurassic war- Park two. How much so, war horse is there? Oh, there's like one shot. How <laughs> how far does it like encompass like his entire career? Yeah, I mean, it starts a duel. Uh, actually, it starts at Jaws, and then it goes back to duel and like all of the stuff from his youth um, leading up to duel, and then it, it covers everything all the way up to Bridge of Spies. Yeah. Um, I feel know. like if I was going to make a Spielberg documentary, I would focus on just the early years of his life going up into like Raiders or something like that. Because at that point, he's like he's at the top of his game or something. Yeah. I feel like the most interesting thing about Spielberg's story, because like I, 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 I have done research just on Spielberg's life because, I mean, he is just one of the most influential directors yeah. of all time. So like just knowing his story of how he was like trying to break through in the game and then coming off of Duel... Of course, we've talked about it before, but all the problems they had with Jaws, he thought that he was never going to direct another movie again. Like, I feel like it's more of an interesting well, story. The the second reason why I think this is essential viewing is because it told a little story that I really didn't know much about, which was his friendship and relationships with uh, George Lucas, mm-hmm. Brian De Palma, and Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Like, they were all buds, and they all hung out. I didn't know Scorsese was part of that group. I knew yeah. De Palma and Lucas and Spielberg were yeah. all like buddies. And, and Coppola was in there too, but Coppola was older. Mm. Um, but these were the guys that were really pushing the boundaries of Hollywood during this time and really trying to be creative, each in their own distinct ways. But they all hung out and they all the, showed each other their own work and critiqued each other and and, and supported each other. And it, there was this friendship between them that really kind of cultivated this era of just legendary yeah. filmmaking. That's that's the banana boat of the of directors. <laughs> yeah. So NBA deep cut NBA yeah. reference for you. I mean Brian De Palma went on to direct oh, Mission no. Impossible. Like yeah. that he, he That's yeah, that's what he's most well known for is <laughs> MI one. Starting but, Tom Cruise's signature yeah, franchise. Overall, like this movie's not it's not amazing. It's not meant to be like this, you know, huge, like overly yeah, important well, revelation. Yeah, it's not anything. revealing anything, but that's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, just it's, it's just a good watch. It just tells the story. It, it's a little bit too long, but it kinda has to be because it touches on so much. Um man, like just seeing him go th- from Jaws to Jurassic Park and and like leading the charge in that digital revolution mm-hmm. of the uh, early mid nineties and then, uh, dude, he made um, Jurassic Park and Schlinger's List in the same year. That's that's unbelievable. They were released the same fucking year, and then like the whole bit about Schlinger's List really got to me because he like kind of became different making that movie he was like this needs to be completely different than everything i've ever made it needs to not be flashy and hollywoody and big and and you know this epic blockbuster of a thing that i yeah. that i can do yeah. with jurassic park i mean yeah there's the famous story about how he waited 11 years to say yes to directing yeah. it because he wasn't ready yet exactly yeah. he um, had to wait for the right moment yeah i'm i'm in the middle of a podcast with steven spielberg as the guest right now from the you know the director's guild of america podcast um oh for what ready player one for the post oh, okay <laughs> um but he is no, ready player one too yeah they were like oh, you're such a visionary cinematic game, game changer it's actually fun fact it's interesting um he he made the post like after ready player one ready player yeah. one was in post when yeah. he made the post he was because, on the toilet well, i mean whenever you think about how much shit 
was yeah. computer generated for Ready Player One versus all practical for the well, post yeah, to make and, sense. And because they shot it over the summer. It was yeah, it was because the story was so uh relevant and topical in, you know, 2016, 2017 yeah. that he was like, We gotta make this right now. Mm. So they made it as fast as possible. Just a little, little fun fact. You can tell. But yeah, I'm yeah. Li- yeah definitely. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. <laughs> but I'm listening to this podcast right now and I'm very I'm interested in this documentary because it's been surprising me how he seems still very humble and articulate and very He's present. always been very open yeah. like about his filmmaking style. And I mean, less so about his own personal life, but you can still see that through his films. But he's always been very, very yeah. open about how about how he perfects his craft, which yeah. is really cool for like a filmmaker at the and, top of this I game. I mean, you, you understand why he's so successful because when he made his little films leading up to Jaws, like Amblin or Duel or Sugarland Express or all these other lesser films, like he was making them for the executives because he knew that that was the key audience that he needed to connect with yeah. because they were the people that were going to give him the money to make Jaws. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, that's the thing. Spielberg is not, he's not just one of those like tortured directors like Charlie Kaufman. He is a game player. Yeah. Like he plays the Hollywood game very well. Even though DreamWorks has not been the, it's been yeah. like a little bit of a convoluted thing. He made, it made Shrek. So yeah. what are you going to say? <laughs> it made the greatest film of all time. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's Shrek it. 2. <laughs> are we gonna fight right, right now? so <laughs> i mean one one last little thing before we move on um the the other kind of cool thing about the documentary is that uh, you get some nice interviews with his family with his siblings and his parents and all that and they just kind of talk about like how uh that yeah like steven really is this nice guy and you have like people you know, like his fellow directors or actors or producers, cinematographers, all these people that have worked with him, they're just being really honest and saying like, yeah, there's so many filmmakers out there that have to, you know, be a prick, be a prick exactly yeah. to be a leader. Yeah. Hitchcock and is uh, not like that. Yeah. Hitchcock and Kubrick, all yeah, these Kubrick guys was known for like making his actors yeah. fucking like, and cry. even like, and even like George Lucas, like he's just a weird, weird yeah, dude. He's just arrogant. Yeah. And then it's, Scorsese's like crazy. I mean, yeah. it's easy to be like, I empathize with these people because if you're thrown in that spin cycle of becoming like a figure in everyone's life, then like things go weird for you. So it's hard to stay grounded. Yeah. Everybody needs to be more like David Lynch. <laughs> that's the takeaway that I'm getting from this conversation. That's, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, just, just watch giving, the art Just life. giving like an hour and a half, uh, just fucking, just the whole discussion, the interview, just talk about the sound of Twin Peaks yeah. instead yeah. of the filmmaking. What, what was it that I he was said? was really focused on static and electricity. <laughs> Dude, there's that line in the art life when he's like, when he's like, yeah, they, they got mad at me for walking out of Bob Dylan, but... I'll walk out of Bob Dylan. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Some shit like that. But yeah, Spielberg, it's on HBO. It's solid. I recommend it if you're into that kind of stuff. Um, But before we take a break, I want to take some, or should we talk about this after the break? All right. I guess we're talking about it now. It's happening. (laughs) (laughs) The rewatch is complete. 
with Mission Impossible I, Rogue Nation. Drew, do you want to lead this off? Because uh, this is well, your first Mission Impossible film, huh? I, yeah, I've been holding off. I've been. It's like you guys have been playing like jump rope, you know, and I've been waiting to get in the double judge. I've been waiting to jump in and I decided yeah, it's, like, it's not right. Yet. Yeah, I decided week five was the week <laughs> to, to finally watch my first Mission Impossible all the way through, totally focusing on it. So I watched Rogue Nation. Yeah. Great title. Not forgettable. Just kidding. It is. <laughs> um, and despite myself, I really enjoyed it. Oh, it's great. Like, I'm not... I Obviously, I need to watch all the movies, and I want to at this point uh, to get full context and just appreciate the whole spectrum of it. Yeah. But I did enjoy this movie. Well, I mean, I think uh, watching all of them kind of in succession, it really it puts Rogue Nation as kind of like this greatest hits sort of movie where it, it what I said uh, last week about how the movies kind of learn from the previous ones mm. and how they pick the things that work and, and drop the things that don't rogue nation by doing that by, by each movie doing that it's like, Oh, now you're left with all of the best bits of all of the four previous movies. So it's like, it's really like this greatest hit sort of movie where you get a tiny little bit of every single thing that's worked before in this like compilation film that just, it just works. I mean, I think ghost protocol is more just intense with its, uh, well, uh, mission three, MI three is probably like the fastest paced one. Um, but Ghost Protocol is like the best sort of action movie that kind of really lands its action set pieces. I mean that. Mm. Yep, you, I, I agree. Completely. We we said it last week. Like that, the the fucking um, Dubai Burj Khalifa shit. Like you can't top that. That yep. is that is that's like yeah, one of the most that's perfect. one of the most iconic action yeah. scenes ever but but, like, but in here you have yeah there's so much variety you have the the vienna opera you have the all everything that happens in morocco from the underwater the tourist th- thing to the car chase to the motorcycle chase dude that fucking yeah, the motorcycle, motorcycle chase, chase. The, yeah that was that was the stunner that was the like can't look away probably 10 minutes of this movie is that entire that that was the impossible mission within yeah. the impossible movie. You know? Well, it was so impossible that he yeah. didn't do it. He yeah, failed. exactly. It was, that was truly, like, I was kind of on board and then when that happened, with the best choice that they made, I don't know if this is consistent with all the movies or if it's just a directing choice for this one. During the entirety of the specific impossible mission, they cut music. No music. Oh, yeah. Mm. You it, hear that heartbeat. You, yeah, you hear the water, you hear heartbeats, you hear guns loading, and you hear motorcycles and cars. That's yeah. all you have and it just draws your attention like nothing else, man. Yep. The, mu- the scoring is really great. It's really traditional, like, action movie but when you take that away i was i was enthralled i loved that entire sequence so effective yeah that was i mean that was the best part of the movie in my opinion so um i uh i will say um this is also the first time i actually saw all of rogue nation all the way on your new tv new tv with the sweet sound system i should say the blu-ray that i have it's it was part of the new blu-ray release packs that they have yeah you should say that it has no, but it has Dolby Atmos surround sound. I think, do we have the same set? <laughs> Probably. The five um, film collection? I don't have the full five films because I already have oh, the original okay, three. Okay. So I just got four and five. But the Dolby, the surround sound is fucking incredible. Whenever you hear a car zoom, it literally zooms behind you. That's on the awesome. Sound bar. Like, it's incredible hearing that with surround sound. It feels like you're right there. Yeah. Um, 
I will say I actually I would probably put Ghost Protocol just a little bit above this movie just because I think as far as pure action movie go action movies go I think Ghost Protocol um, just the fact that it has three unforgettable set pieces in the first second and third act throughout it I think it's a better action movie oh, yeah however Moscow. Uh, Dubai and then the finale the finale yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that this is by far the best script in the Mission Impossible yeah. series like the villain is I mean yeah he's a little bit evil guy but you do kind of you don't sympathize I, with him but you understand his reasoning I, I, yeah I wanted to talk about this guy his name is Sean Harris dude this this guy looks rough <laughs> Yeah, this, he's his voice is the most unappealing <laughs> voice of all time, and the whole movie is going, "Yes, Mister, yeah, Mister Ethan." Yeah. It is. He looks like a like he was like they were thinking about him for a Daniel Craig Bond movie, and they're like, "No, yeah, he's it's too like, on the nose." Like you look at his face, and you like your eyes start watering. Out. Like it's just involuntary. Like he's oh my god, he's brutal. There's some really also. Awesome, one of my favorite parts of the movie is the way it plays with your mission. Should you choose to accept it when oh, he goes the in the booth. And it's oh. actually just the syndicate. Yeah, let's after you go through four movies of like setup through this thing, and yeah. fifth movie comes in. And full full disclosure: if you haven't seen this movie, go see it. But yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna get into spoilers. But but that that opening uh, thing. Well, okay. Well, first of all, the very opening is the holding on to opening, the plane. The very opening is the main set piece that I want in the entire movie. Yeah. Like, that's the most impressive set piece in the entire film. But it's so fucking smart that they did that because um, if if they would have built an entire like sequence out of that with like the bad guy, it would have just been like Fast and Furious 6 with like cars chasing the plane and like all these other pieces. But yeah, because we've seen it was, that. It's because, in Face Off. It's in every movie. Because, yeah. yeah, because... But not with Tom Cruise literally holding on to the side of a plane. But because it was that, because it was just Tom hanging on, they could just shoot that. They could just be like, oh, he's just hanging on to a plane. Yeah. We'll shoot that. They didn't have to build even this if, whole other sequence. Even if the set it. piece is kind of tangential to the main plot, like what is he really doing and how does that relate to the it's main fine. villain arc? No. It was just a set piece to start the film and it starts it's the film out amazing. Of, yeah. yeah. It was a yeah, it was a fun way to start the movie. I'll I'll go through what I like. I love Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, he, he is oh god, he is amazing. He, yeah, he's this whole series. He's not. Yeah, he, the thing is, he's not only good comic relief. He is a good dramatic actor in this movie. He's very good. Um, it's great that they have given him so much his, in yeah. Ghost uh, Protocol and Rogue Nation. His acting at the very end of the film, whenever he's stuck on the chair, is yeah. like incredible. Just yeah. like very, very subtle, just like cheek movements. Yeah, that you can tell. Like he's exactly, like, he has to say the words that are coming. Out. Um, another winner for me. I, I really liked Alec Baldwin. He's great. Yeah. He gets some great lines. Yeah, that monologue at the end when he's like talking about how Ethan is okay. like he's a, he's anticipated every move. No, he's the this greatest. Is probably spy. anticipated this conversation this, right now. I literally mass take off. I wrote down a line from that because it encapsulates every feeling I have about this movie because it's so fucking stupid. And yet I love it. It's yeah, like, that's because he goes hard, dude. He goes. He's talking to the prime minister, <laughs> trying to convince him about Ethan Hunt. He goes, "Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation yeah, of destiny." destiny. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. That's one of the best lines in the entire series. Because Tom Cruise is like, yep. That's a, yeah, that's how I feel about the movie. Because that line shouldn't work. If you write it down and read it, it looks so stupid. And yet in the movie, you're like, yeah, sure. Why not? Just say it. I mean, that's the second time that good acting has saved like what would otherwise be horrific dialogue. When you go back to Mission Impossible 2 with Anthony uh. Hopkins saying... Sir, it's not mission difficult. It's mission impossible. Kill me. Yeah. <laughs> I still love that line, though. I still love it. Um, another big winner. This is obvious, especially for you guys, for anyone who's watched Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise is so good, man. Dude, he's, he's so, so He's amazing. He sells everything. He doesn't just sell the action. He doesn't just sell the drama. He sells every individual thing his character has to do. He's even very funny when he's just woken up from being dead and he's like yeah. drunk, basically. <laughs> he sells that so, so well. Yeah, I was shocked. He's really funny he's amazing he's good at everything i think um you know the the thing that makes this movie the best one out of all of them is the script the story that's being told here because these movies aren't known for their stories like they're inconsequential and like the whole plot of like the syndicate and and like the bad guy and all that it's fine but like the main idea here of Tom Cruise just basically trying to prove that he's not crazy and just doing this to be like, hey, I'm not imagining this. Like, I'm not crazy. It was his response to the Scientology to (laughs) go clear. Yeah, really. Um, No, so so we haven't even mentioned her yet, but Rebecca Ferguson is fucking awesome. She's she's the love interest. She she plays a massive part. Like, she... Her character well, is well written. She's, she's not even the love interest, which is yep. which makes her character so much better than if she was, because you expect that character to be the love interest. But she's just a fact, counterpart. Yeah, the fact that she has her own story going, her own goals and motivations, completely separate yeah. of being sexualized well, or objectified. She's not like a she's not like a pussy galore type. You know, she's not a Bond love interest. She's not just there to fuck. Like she is someone. I only call her a love interest because of all the insane sexual tension throughout the entire movie but you're right it's not about the love story it's about like the actual story so i'm going to take this moment to talk a little bit about christopher quarry he's the writer and director of this yeah he wrote he's the i think he's the real winner of this movie yeah he wrote usual suspects in the 90s he won the oscar for best screenplay but but he has worked he's done pass-throughs on virtually every single script of any action movie you can think of of the past five years and he did he he actually has credited work on edge of tomorrow Mm -hmm. and the work that he did on that movie with emily blunt and her character being like this centric you know leader action hero led into the creation of the of rebecca ferguson's ilsa character how what the lessons that he learned working with Emily Blunt on Edge of Tomorrow, he directly infused into this character that he wrote. And he talks about how from the start writing Rogue Nation, he was like, this female character is not going to be your average just sexualized love interest. She's going to have agency and she's going to have a, a, a clear direction and motivation completely separate of anything that Ethan Hunt is doing. They're, they'll interconnect and they'll intertwine, but she's going to be her own character that is still going to be feminine. It's not mm-hmm. like she's just a, a guy. The scene of Tom Cruise, of her sa- telling Tom Cruise, like, heels. 
heels. Yeah. That's a great moment, which otherwise, like, I would probably, like, be very eye-rolly, but both Tom Cruise and Rebecca Ferguson are so great that I buy lines like that. And I buy lines, like, at the end of the movie, uh, or towards the third act, whenever they're in the airport together, Rebecca Ferguson's just like, there's another way, just run away with me. Yeah. Which, in any other movie, I'd be like, oh, come on. Like, are you kidding me? But, like, you buy it based on how well-written they are leading up to yeah. their absolute equals but you know you know that ethan hunt would never do that yeah, because no. he yeah. is so obsessed with being a fucking spy yeah. that's like asking tom cruise to quit doing yeah. mission impossible movies well, exactly it's, <laughs> and i mean drew you haven't seen the other films but this isn't the first time that like a love interest has kind of come into the way of his spy game whenever we talked a little bit about like Mission Impossible 3 and 4. The like, wife, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, what's just so impressive is the progression of women in the series. When you compare Rebecca Ferguson to Tandy Newton in MI2, yeah, when it's just ridiculous. like, she's literally just like a sexual object and then to that's save. it. Yeah. Like, that's that's the only purpose yeah. that she has. It's really yeah. awesome. So there, there are a lot of really, there are a lot of positives in this, in this movie. I enjoyed it overall. I'm going to talk about what I didn't like. The technology in this movie is fucking stupid. Like, unforgivably stupid it's dumb this is i guess it's a sci-fi movie but like what technology specifically? it's like when you're watching csi and you're like this is just for old people so it's fine that that technology doesn't exist and never will but like or like when his phone is out and he just like zaps that flash drive and it says files deleted and the whole screen looks like it's on csi miami <laughs> yeah, okay it's just uh, okay. all that type of shit or where there's all these screens displaying a storyline and it's just it's absurd technology what about the oxygen arm the oxygen. Oh, you know, yeah. the arm? <laughs> yeah. I, I think That's that arm really is cool, cool as fuck. Yeah. That's one of cool. my coolest things. There's some cool stuff, but a lot of it is just, it's technology to serve a narrative technology that... Does oh, not make sense. Yeah, I mean that's absolutely yeah. like that's a thing throughout the whole series. Dude, just like oh you don't well, no, dude. Yeah, it's on. like you, it's it's like oh yeah oh we have this one specific problem. Oh well, luckily we have this one tool that's exactly for that. Yeah, problem. that's dude, what that the, happens the, a lot. The technology in this movie is nothing compared to the other movies. I'm sure it's not like it in the other movies. It's ridiculous so, the so shit that they do. One thing that I will say, um, just kind of since we're done with our rewatch to just kind of compare this movie to the other films. One thing that I love about ghost protocol is that they have all this cool technology, but it fails. Yeah. It it, like almost in time. every instance, like this stuff that this technology that they have, like it goes wrong yeah. or it malfunctions. I love how they, like they set up the mass and you're like, you're set up to be like, okay, yeah, mission and then impossible. They like, we're going to get mass. They look over and, and the mask breaks. is like fucking melted. Yeah. <laughs> like great. speaking of which that's, that is ridiculous. The masks in this movie, <laughs> dude, again, you don't even know, dude. Mission Impossible Two. <laughs> Mission Impossible. There are five we keep coming masks. Back to Mission Impossible yeah, two. exactly. But so, this this has the the greatest uh, like threshold of mass, which is two. You you do one. <laughs> you do one to set it up, and one to actually do the it. The Greatest threshold of mass. Also, also, um, Macquarie talked about how they shot that scene, the the little like fake flash forward of Benji putting on the mask. Yeah, yeah. The that it's so genius how they shot that because you have the camera pan around and you see him putting on the mask and without cutting it pans to the mirror and you see the new actor in the mirror without a single cut that shot does not have any special effects in it they it's practical they there's no mirror they built a, a duplicate mirrored version of the set and they had the actor sitting on the other side and they had a 
that's double. So, that's so cool. Like, yeah, oh my god, that's it's so... amazing. Like, that just speaks yeah. to the craft of Macquarie and like the attention to detail that he yeah, brought it's to very, this film. It's well shot, and that's really cool. That those scenes with technology in this movie were the scenes where I felt like I was being insulted on like an intelligent level. <laughs> like, I felt like they were. It was like it's a oh, mission impossible. Yeah, movie. I know, but that's yeah. I don't want to take that for granted. Like, oh, it's it's okay because it's this. Well, it's still stupid. That's. I mean, it's yeah. fine. I mean, this is these movies are never meant to be like ten out of ten mar- masterpieces. I know, I know, I know. That's what I'm just saying. As a new viewer, I felt right. Those were the no, scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were the scenes where I laughed at the TV in a bad way. Where I was like, that's yeah. that's. But did you dumb. feel like there was anything that you were missing out on for not? watching the other movies were, were you caught up enough by yeah. what's set up in this film there were, i mean just a couple things but everything was cleared up by the end of the movie i understood the relationships i have a hot take that i'm kind of gonna drop and i know you're gonna get mad Ernest. <laughs> this is not even a take it's just a question is jeremy renner good um okay so can i answer this yeah he's no. fine no, I, I kind of... I don't think he's very good. Okay, so funny. This, Dude, a lot this of his movie, lines, A lot of his lines are improvised. Okay, so... He um, has, like, good timing. In this movie, he is better. Ghost Protocol, he is a fucking... He, yeah. he is a wet blanket. He is way better. He's literally there to just, like, be like, mm, actually, I don't know if that's a good idea, Ethan. Like, he's... I don't really like yeah. him. The bit, the bit that he has with Ving Rhames in this one, where they kind of, like, have their own little side thing going. Yeah. That's that's really he's, great, and I know that he's at, for the most part he's paired up in this movie with Tom Cruise and Alec Baldwin, so that's a that's a rough draw for him, <laughs> you know. But I was watching this and I was like, he's getting outacted, like he's he's getting and, outdone. And well, I mean, okay, so the reason why he is even in the, why he even got introduced into this franchise was because they were talking gonna, about completely rebooting it. Yeah. This was in the time when we were just like, oh yeah, man, let's put fucking Hawkeye in everything. Like he, well, we're gonna bring back Hawkeye. Jason Bourne. We're gonna with him. We're gonna bring back I, Mission Impossible see, with him. And he, it finally, like, I'm glad. That we realized what we were doing before it was too late. <laughs> we realized what we were doing. Yeah, we were just like, what are we doing? It's just- and actually, um, so one of the stories that I've heard is that uh, the script for Ghost Protocol was in a really, really rough state. Yeah, and that's Macquarie, why was Macquarie came in. For so long. Macquarie came in kind of at the last minute and did a rewrite of the script that and was what. It. Came in. No, not no, for no. Ghost Protocol. Oh, oh, Brad Bird. See, I get these names Ghost mixed Protocol. up because they're both nonsense. Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, he came in there and wrote Ghost Protocol, so they were like, kind of just like a, oh yeah, you know, maybe we'll get you to direct the next one. And then he directed Jack Reacher, which I've never seen Jack Reacher. It was like his tryout, but, but it, from yeah, all it accounts, really was. from all yeah. accounts, I've heard that Jack Reacher is a really solid, it's super solid, really yeah. cool, stylistic action Great movie. Cast in Jack Reacher, yeah. Yeah. holy like, Werner Herzog, yeah, yeah, <laughs> what? David Oyelowo, like a bunch of people. <laughs> Werner Herzog, yeah, that's that's interesting. <laughs> that's odd, but so anyway, yeah. First of all. These movies without Tom Cruise are not. Yeah. that's not a thing. Especially Tom, him as a producer. These, he has. Yeah. A, he makes a lot of decisions. Yeah, it, on and these. these these movies are shaped around his whole thing, which is being cheesy and good at the same time. the The entire tone of the movies is Tom Cruise. That's the adjective for these movies yeah. is Tom Cruise. So that's that's out the window. But it made me watching this Jeremy Renner, like watching him perform. It made me think back. <laughs> To his old performances, and I was like, "Has he ever been good?" He, hey man, the Hurt Locker. I have. He's seen good it. in Hurt Locker. I, you're right. I need to see that. He is good also, in Hurt Locker. Avengers: Age of Ultron. I, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think he's better in Infinity War. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was just, I'm I was, hurt. I was thinking back, and I was like, D- is he just one of those guys? A, he's probably a good networker. He probably is a good agent. He has a His very realty business. He's a, not attractive, so that's well, not. He it. has a very interesting face and an interesting voice. Like he look, he has a non-traditional look that's not like unattractive, but it's not uh, attract. He is, he. I think he just ha- he's one of those guys with an interesting feel to him, and so he was kind of attractive to Hollywood because they were like, we've never seen someone quite like this before. Like he, he's kind of an in. A lot of people say he's really fun on set. He's a good guy to have <laughs> he's around. There. He's like the anti Jared Leto on set, yeah, I mean, where you're like, he's not bringing me a dead rat at my door, so I like yeah, him. That's what I'm saying. I feel like he's one of those guys that just he's good to have around. He he always does great in auditions or whatever. But is he really that good? I don't think so. Well, I mean, luckily the the way these movies are structured is because it's a team dynamic. Each member of the team has a very specific role to serve, and they've refined it to the point where like. That's what their characters are, and they live in that space, and they 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 thrive in that. Mm-hmm. I think they they figured it out. Yeah, it, Jeremy it Renner, he doesn't really bother me in this movie. I don't. I wouldn't say he's giving like a great performance or anything like that, but I think that he's kind of fine because he is very relegated in this movie. Whereas in Ghost Protocol, he's kind of with the team for a lot of their missions, and he's just kind of there to just be the like. Oh, I don't, I don't know if we yeah. can do that whole thing. We shouldn't do that. And you're like, obviously, they're going to do the thing to shut your fucking mouth, Jeremy Renner, so we can go yeah. see Tom Cruise it's, climb the side of a building. Yeah, and particularly in this movie, like Jeremy Renner in like a yelling match, like he can't match the energy of Tom Cruise or Alec Baldwin. He can, he's his character calls for him to match the energy, and he couldn't quite do it. But I don't want to bash him too bad. Yeah, you know, just in I case mean, he's he's probably listening, and I don't I feel do bad. You have, uh, do you have any other negatives? Um. Not really. That's the thing. It's it's a really good movie. It's, it, it is. A, it's just it's fun. And it's not like I may have been, you know, bothered by certain aspects, but I, you can't get too bothered by it. Like I like an action movie. You have to kind of it's like an action movie perspective. Yeah, it's dumb. It's absurd. It knows that it's absurd. I love, you know, whenever the word impossible is said, Tom Cruise just raises his eyebrows a little bit. <laughs> And he does, oh yeah, oh, there's, perfect, there's that man. one scene where uh, Rebecca Ferguson is like, "Yeah, you can't do it. It's impossible." And he looks and then, over. Yeah, yeah. Simon, him oh. and Simon Pegg are like, huh, "I think, oh, I think we yeah. can do that." Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it had, yeah, it has like that little wink to the camera of like, "Yeah, this is dumb, but yeah. it's fine. It's yeah. totally fine." I enjoyed the movie. I mean, again, like these movies don't have to be as good as they are. They could perfectly be just like these middle of the road yeah. movies but tom cruise takes it upon himself to make them as good as they Man. possibly mm-hmm. can be he is he's killer and like, and he's but so again good. like his role as a producer like it, mccrory talks about like how his work with tom is very very close and even while they're shooting while they're in production they'll be reworking things and they'll still be trying to figure things out like as they were shooting this film they didn't know what was going to be on that drive that they steal in morocco Mm. because it doesn't matter like you can figure it out it's just the mcguffin so there's certain balls in play that they can like kind of adjust and rework it just it the script really did have a lot of clever dynamics happening like things that like you said, like things that didn't have to be as smart as they were. 
um, particularly like Tom Cruise's move of memorizing what's on the flash drive and Which, then destroying it. Okay, let's. I if we're gonna really question things, so like Tom Cruise proves they memorized one card number, well, one bank account number. So they're like, man, he knows the other five hundred. Well, numbers that's too. well. What he said is like, do you want to call my bluff? He was like, yeah, maybe yeah. I'm lying, but maybe I'm. Well, not. also he's yeah. a spy. Like they have to be. No, able I know. To do it's that. just like it's one of those things. There, I mean, you, there's a level of suspending disbelief for like pretty much all of these movies but i mean that it's these are just like you have to look at them for what they are this isn't like fucking mad max fury road where it's a action movie that elevates itself into yeah, being and just the whole like genre. a fucking masterpiece you know, yeah. it's a masterpiece for what it is i have one more thing that bothers me and it's that this character's name is ethan you don't like Ethan Hunt? No, that's that like doesn't Hunt. work. Hunt. Yeah, Hunt Hunt is fine. Call him Hunt. It's like just call him my boy Hunt. Yeah, it's like if James Bond's name was like drinking fuck his last name, you know. Yeah. yeah. And you can find me on Twitter at Ethan Hunt Mobley. So, uh, little little lightning round before cuz um, we're we're running a little long, but I want to I do want to make sure I mention um the that fucking opera sequence is so genius yep. mm. on every level that it's cut to the music and it crescendos. Yeah. The, the whole sequence crescendos at this and peak that's moment my favorite. in this performance. I, I know I love the motorcycle sequence and everything else, but that whole scene in the opera is yeah. so, probably my favorite yeah. thing of the and entire if, movie. And if we're to guess, just because this is a pretty good screenplay, surely that opera is about something very relevant to what's happening. Yo, I, I actually did hear Macquarie talk about how that opera there is a lot of themes about like empires yeah. falling yeah because with and a good script you make choices that make sense yeah. yeah so that makes sense one thing about that scene this is not an actual issue but the other shooter that guy that's not a what does oh, that the guy, big the big what the bulky hell is guy? what is going on with that guy's face <laughs> He he looks like a video game NPC. I thought he was wearing a mask. To be yeah, honest, exactly. I was his, expecting him to be wearing that a mask and it be like another person. Yeah, yeah, that guy. He's like a stand-in for Terminator Two or something. <laughs> like that is not a real person. And I then, refuse to believe it. And then also the um, the motorcycle sequence. The fact that Tom Cruise doesn't wear a helmet just tells you like, if they were to put a helmet on him. It could be anyone. Yeah. Why? Why yeah, does yeah, yeah. like it has to be him? It has to be Tom. You have to see him going 120 miles per hour on that motorcycle. Yeah, I want to see him die. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's like that's dude. What Tom makes Cruise it. is like he's willing. I, it's just kind of unbelievable to me that he's willing to do such extreme things. Also, like look at the progression of the stunts that he's done over the course of the series. When we go from mission impossible three, where the big on thing, that or on three. Or, yeah, when he like jumps across a bridge yeah. and it's cool, <laughs> well, but also it's he very, gets, very small scale. He gets bashed onto the side of that car too. Like yeah. the explosion, like shoots him to the side. Um, lastly, the very, very end of the movie, they don't kill the bad guy. They just put him in a box. Yeah, that's, that's great. I love the way that they capture him. It's like in any Keep other movie, the they were just like, yeah. oh, I'm going to shoot you in the head now, bitch. Yeah, very great visual. Yeah. The logistics of that were very confusing to me. Yeah, they, they had, like, they they went had to time ho- to set up all that stuff, bring a giant <laughs> glass they had, like, box. They, they like, went to ten, Home Depot. <laughs> yeah, they had about 10 minutes to get bulletproof glass. <laughs> they they got some connections over there in Europe. Um, but yeah, um, no, yeah, we can wrap up. It's um, great. Oh, so quickly, what is your ranking of Mission Impossible movies? Oh, um, five, four, three, one, two. Okay, I'm similar. Yeah. I'm four, five, three, one, two. Yeah, I mean, four and five are very, very close. I would say very I mean, close. four is a better action movie, but five is a better script. Yeah, and um, 
I know it's a little taboo to recommend other podcasts on a podcast, but a lot of the insight that I mentioned about Macquarie going behind the scenes is from the Empire podcast. You know, like Empire Magazine, Uh that British um, magazine. They have a great, great podcast that I just recently discovered. And if you go, if you scroll all the way back to 2015 when this movie was released, there is a two and a half hour interview with Christopher McQuarrie. It is fascinating. Wow. It's very, very inside baseball. So I only recommend it if you're like really deep into this type of shit. But oh my God, this dude is so cool, so insightful, so willing to just elaborate on every detail in making this. That's really cool. Yeah, it's great. Um, All right. right. Well, we just talked a whole bunch about Mission Impossible, but we'll we'll get into Fallout when it actually uh, comes out. But we'll take a break and then sorry to bother you. We'll be back. This is a real actual dream that I had, um, and it felt like reality. So um, I, I had this dream the, like two nights ago that I was uh, I was Zach from Saved by the Bell. Like I was literally Zach, and that shows you know, dude. Saved by the Bell is great. It's Fuck a you. Horrible no, because show. like I looked in the mirror and I was Zach from Saved Whoa. by the Bell, and I. Uh, oh, so it's like Ant Man and the Wasp. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, first movie. I was I was literally like I was at a bar, and it was the rest of the cast from Saved by the Bell, like old Mario Lopez, like Wait, sitting so you next were to me. Old? We were like, like cheers, like slightly older than now, and like I was were you telling Franklin them about and how Bash era <laughs> yeah, Zach Morris. Yes. So <laughs> I, I was like, what I was telling dream. them about how I, because you know Zach, of course, is known for his great writing chops. Yeah. So I was telling them about how I'm bringing back Saved by the Bell for a reunion, and they were like, oh, so like, wh- what is it going to be about? It's going to be like, well, it's about how we're all like alone and depressed and miserable, and how we never really moved on from high school. Wow, and they were like, "No, why? Why would we do that? That's not what Saved by the Bell was about at all." And um, also, Mario Lopez was black. Oh. <laughs> yep, that was that was another thing. About I have my dream. I have a quick quick story. Um, I was at the skating rink tonight for my girlfriend's birthday, and they had Ernest is dating a twelve year old. Shut the fuck up! <laughs> it's actually kidding. cool just, to go skating. I was I was just waiting to make that joke on. It my, was very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and it was so cool that they had a, a speed skating like You know how they'll do like, yeah. okay, now everyone, if you don't know how to skate backwards, get off the yeah. rink. So only backward skaters can do it. <laughs> so they had a, a, a speed skating and oh, yeah. they were like, okay, if you can't skate fast, please get off. And I was like, I got this. I no, no, <laughs> oh, no. I'll be fine. No, and, speed skaters are real. And, immedi- and they immediately started playing Seek and Destroy by Metallica. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I was like, Did you get fucking owned by like a nine year old? Dude, I was trying to do the turns fast. Like, I was trying to really like clip the turn and not slow down. 
and I busted my ass. Yeah, yeah. No, when I was a kid in Tallahassee, Florida, Skate World is like where you go for birthday parties. Yeah, uh, I used to always and try meth to, dealers. Yeah, I they would always you know call everyone off for the races, and I would always try to stay on because I I was beyond like the the uh, road skates where it's two and two, you know, because those are slow. Were you using those? Um, uh, were no, you, the inline. You were inline. Yeah, inline yeah. is nice, but people pay hundreds of dollars for speed skates. And, and I would try to keep up with them. I, I fell every single time. So, a uh, uh, couple of comments. One, um, so Gaia uh, does roller derby. So, whenever she started getting back into it, I went roller skating with her. And it was the first time that I roller skated in over half of my life, like, going back there. And I had, like, no fucking balance whatsoever. Like, it was so fucking hard. On inlines or roller skates? No, on roller skates. Okay. And also, um, it's funny that speed skates uh, you guys use because speed skates are actually fucking horrible for your ankles. And like when oh, I feel it when girls do roller derby and stuff like that, or really because now roller derby is kind of a thing for guys too. Um, they use like actual skates over like inline skates yeah. because it's just it's really really bad for yeah, your ankles my, and your feet. My feet are aching right now. Yeah, should have worn those uh, two by twos. Guy, guy has a comment. What's up? Hi, Gaia, wait, no, get, no, on, no. get was, on the mic. Get she's, on the mic. She's saying that it's mainly, roller <laughs> no, I, derby is mainly. No, women. I know. That's that's what I was saying was that. Guys, like, let me have this. Is this an episode Men of, of Dish and Derby? <laughs> dish, and, dish, dish and Derby. Yeah. <laughs> this is on brand and fascinating. All right. I, so. So we're back. <laughs> um, let's talk about this movie that we watched this week, guys. Should we Should we talk about a movie? It's or called, should we keep going? <laughs> No, let's just keep going. <laughs> it's called um, Sorry to Bother You, mm-hmm. and it's... It's a new Boots Riley joint. Well, it's his debut. Yeah. Um, but he is known for making music under the name The Coup. Mm-hmm. That was his, his group's name. They put out about four albums so far, and their, their latest album is actually called Sorry to Bother You. Um, I actually went back and listened to this album, and it's kind of filling in some of the gaps that I had from this film because it there is, is a, there is is a some con- gaps. <laughs> it, it is a concept album and there there's even a song like that references uh, Lakeith's character Ca- Cassius uh, like he his name Cassius Green is like mm. part of the title of the song so it's cool so whatever story he had in mind for that album he must have like transitioned into the screenplay for this film yeah. well, that's interesting to me because we'll get into like general thoughts but this movie really struck me as a movie where the director had sp- like a few specific images in his head and then wrote the movie around those and that that kind of makes sense. and not just images but like ideas yeah and yeah concepts. and then kind of wrote around that and yeah. there so there are definitely gaps in the movie so I'll- yeah so um oh Quickly, before we uh, move on, I wanted to say I, I actually listened to an interview with Boots Riley, um, done by Sean Fantasy and the uh, Big Picture podcast. Oh, he podcast. was on Big Picture? Yeah, and it was actually like a, it was like 45 minutes Was it back in, back in Sundance um, time? It was back in Sundance, but they actually just now released it since it's just now getting its wide release. It came out last week, um, okay. the episode did. But uh, Boots Riley actually went to film school. He always wanted to be a director. But he never was able to really break through, so he was just like, oh, you know, like, whatever. Well, I'm going to film school, I'll just do this whole music gig. And he ended up dropping out of film school because he got a record label deal. Do you, so do you around, remember which film school? Um, it was... Probably uh, USC. Are you no, it wasn't it? USC. It was... Um, I think Tish. it was San Francisco or something because oh, okay. it wasn't... Oh, Oakland. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It was out in San Francisco, Oakland area. Um, 
And that was kind of how he got started. So even whenever he was touring with the Coop, um, he always kind of wanted to be a director. And he actually wrote the story for Sorry to Bother You like years and years ago. And he kept trying to show it to people. It could. Uh, it never really got off the ground. And then it finally... It, well, the album came about, out six years ago. Yeah. And uh, he actually... Um, he talked about just like, you know, whatever. Like he was talking with uh, one of his somebody who worked kind of in the industry at Sundance and stuff. And uh, he was just like, you know what? I think I'm just going to like release this screenplay on the internet and maybe somebody will find it because it was kind of in that list of, uh, I'm blanking on the name the of blacklist. the blacklist. The blacklist. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of just on the blacklist where nobody would ever get it. And finally he showed it to somebody and they were like, this is one of the funniest scripts I've ever read. And that person showed it to Pat Oswald and Pat Oswald showed it to oh. a couple other people. And it kind of spread around from there to become an actual film Patton. that's interesting i mean Patton oswald is one of the white voices in this yeah. along with uh david cross did you guys instantly know it was david, david cross david cross was the first person they showed it, it to and david cross showed to Patton oswald it, it, oh, really? took, yeah. it took me a minute i was so annoyed i was like i know this voice i oh. know it i know it i know it and then like by the end of the movie i was like okay okay so it went from cross to oswald to the execs that's yep. interesting wow. because if you're casting white voice, you're casting David Cross. Yeah. <laughs> like he has the best voice. I love that bit in the movie. Yeah. But anyway, what are you guys' general thoughts? Okay, about the movie? I'll I'll start. So my gut reaction from this film was, I was I felt like I was being pulled in a million directions. Yeah, I felt <laughs> like this movie was so. It is very 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 ambitious. It is by far the most unique film of the year. I I, I think. I haven't seen anything like this all year. I haven't seen anything like this in Period. recent memory. Yeah. Yeah. It's so unique with, with what it's trying to do, so creative and out there. But it just feels amateur a lot of times. And it, it, it I was struggling to stay in a good flow uh, as a viewer because it kept like switching gears on me. Yeah. And I couldn't like really vibe with it a lot. There's something that happens in the third act of this movie that is kind of like a make it or break it moment for the film. And for me, it was a make it moment. I think that leading up to that thing, I was very on the fence. And I was like, I am really digging these ideas. I'm really digging these performances. I'm really digging the style and and like kind of flair that this movie is presenting to me. But I'm just not there like mm. i'm just not it's just not really uh it, it's not hitting me in the way that i want it to because it is dealing with these big ideas about capitalism and yeah classism our society and classism mm. and racism yep. and all this it just wasn't resonating as much as it did when the big thing happens in the third act i was like i kind of wonder what you're talking about even having seen it we'll get we'll get yeah. into it but <laughs> when that when there's this reveal i was like okay i i see it was it was like kind of worth it to mm. kind of be on the fence for two-thirds of the movie leading up to that and i was like all right i i i'm maybe a little bit willing to forgive a lot of that and i see that this movie is just something very very unique and worth praising even though it's very very flawed you gotta praise and acknowledge original filmmaking mm. and this movie's fucking yeah. original so yeah hunter what do you um so i kind of agree with a lot of your sentiments um i do feel like it definitely feels like somebody who's a first-time director however um 
there's something about this movie and how wholly original it is that part of me kind of loved it. Um, just because I can honestly say I've never seen a movie like this before. Like I've yeah. seen movies with little hints of this, whether it's Wes Anderson or some Edgar Wright in there, but where this movie goes to um, is unlike anything else I've ever seen. And there's something about that that really resonated with me, even if it's not uh, the most consistent film all the times. Um, I do have... I thought that the uh, performances, for the most part, are good, even if some of the characters are a little bit shallow. Uh, a lot of the acting kind of makes up for that. But just, I mean, the script. Like, I've just never seen something quite as stylized. Uh, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say, though, that's completely style over substance, which I'm, I'm interested to know if you guys agree with that or not. But uh, Overall, I don't, I don't think it is. Okay. I, at times, it kind of feels like it, but... The film as a whole, no. Drew, yeah. what do you? What are your thoughts on so, this? So, I I think this movie for me, I agree. I agree a lot with what you said. That was my main takeaways were this movie had a lot of really interesting ideas and it had an energy to it that I hadn't felt before in a movie. In a lot of ways, it's kind of comparable to the more absurd episodes of Atlanta, mm-hmm. where it's just it's like a a step away from reality. Well, Hunter mentioned that Lakeith is kind of playing Darius, yeah, especially for half in the the, fir- the first part of the movie, and he's just like questioning like yeah, existence yeah. and reality and shit it's, like that. Yeah, it has it. Sh- it just shares a lot of DNA with it in terms of tone and theme. Um, Which is funny because this was actually shot uh, before Lakeith was ever a breakout star. Only one episode of uh, Atlanta had been shot before they Um, filmed this movie. Yeah, so this this movie had a lot of energy and inertia going for it in the beginning. It's anchored by really... I really enjoyed the performances in this movie. You have Tessa Thompson absolutely nailing it. Lakeith is obviously great. Um, He deserves to be a movie star. And... I love Steven Yoon. Yeah. By the yeah. way, I I I really enjoyed him. I never thought he was super great in Walking Dead. I loved him. But our baby boy, our national treasure, <laughs> Army Hammer, dude, yeah. Army. Our we baby, can't we can't treasure, we can't talk Army. too much about him until spoilers. Yeah. But I loved him. We need to protect Man. this man at all costs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are lucky as, to have as him. whites. We are keeping him safe. <laughs> <laughs> he is our Aryan god. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, the performance is incredibly solid. The tone that was set in the beginning of this movie, I fell in love with. And then I, for me, it's interesting that the third, something in the third act made it for you because I, it really fizzled for me. Like toward the end, I did not like where the plot went. Like you said, it, the movie is pulling you in a lot of different directions and tonally, there just wasn't much of like a crescendo for me when there really should have been because they're introducing these things that are like they're shattering the entire plot. And yeah. then just you spend 10 minutes not even talking about it. Yeah. And you're like, where, where did that go? Well, we can. Well, I think we can provide a little context without spoiling too much that this movie definitely takes place in some sort of alternate reality. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's absurd. And yeah. And there's a lot of surrealism and absurdism here. But it's not presented in a way that makes you a hundred percent just sink yourself into it. I think, in my opinion, the the movie introduces all of these surrealist and, and absurdist themes and, and concepts and, and ideas, but there's still a lot of real drama and mm-hmm. realism in it, and that's why I felt like it was just so inconsistent because I didn't get a sense of how I needed to be processing this movie. So um, another thing I wanted to bring up from the uh, the interview that I was talking about with Boots Riley is um, it's kind of 
it, this whole thing of clashing tones, um, it almost feels like that was exactly what he was going for because he's coming into this, especially with the background of being a songwriter. And he said, if I ever make a film or a piece of music that just has one message or one tone or one theme to it, fucking kill me because I'm wasting your time and I'm wasting my own time so by he, doing this. So he kind of wanted so to make something messy. He wanted to make something messy that everybody can kind of draw little different yeah. pieces from, which I... I yeah. don't I necessarily. Respect, I, respect I don't. That. I don't necessarily think that that always works for the best. But hearing that, it kind of gave me a better appreciation for what he was going yeah. for, and I, I do appreciate that. Yeah. I, I appreciate so, the mess. Yeah, I respect that aspect, and I respect the fact that this movie even got made with such an out there script. This movie couldn't get made in any other year. Like this is a, a year where black entertainment is being produced at a level that we haven't seen, and I'm glad this movie mm. is out there because. I enjoyed seeing something that was just so like just I, out there. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, it's it's comedic in a lot of ways, but you're, I, a lot of times I was just laughing at the absolute absurdity that this got made. Like I appreciated that, but um, directing wise, there were a lot of things that I think were just not for a purpose. I think they were flat out poorly done. Uh, a, just a lot of cuts, a lot of specific shots. I thought were just not. They weren't conducive to any message at all. It wasn't that it was a specific thing and then it switched to another. It was just a choice that wasn't the choice of someone who is seasoned in, in the or, game. Or even instances of the the how the acting is acting or how the directing is reflected in the acting. Because I think these people are really, really talented, but sometimes it feels like the way they're being directed to perform to play these characters is just kind of all over the place. Yeah. Like, like Lakeith, he really goes on a journey in this movie. Mm. He starts out <laughs> yeah. with only 15 cents in his pocket and he ascends to this level of success. Yeah. That essentially, what we can reveal is that it's about Lakeith Stanfield, his girlfriend is Tessa Thompson. She is a really out there, artsy girl. He is just broke and he just wants to make money and he takes a job at a telemarketing place and things escalate <laughs> yeah and i mean if if anybody's seen the trailers or anything they know that it is extremely stylized and like mm. almost like a wes anderson kind of way it's very cool but yeah it goes so much further than any wes anderson movie yeah. that i've ever seen yeah and i i don't know there's just um like i said about something like a certain itch that this cr- scratched i i'd say that this is probably one of the funniest movies that i've seen in years Our we, like, we saw it at a screening and our audience was really digging it yeah like our audience yeah. was kind of dying laughing at one point there's a party scene in this movie that was one of the most like most difficult shits to watch in like a way that i'm like laughing but also just like cringing yeah. so hard while watching it most and, difficult shits to watch yes what yeah, the shit that they take in the screen. <laughs> no, like I really what? <laughs> it's the the scene towards the end once Army Hammer is introduced and we're uh, like, oh yeah, I know, his... I know, I know. No, I difficult scenes. I, so, no, I was really confused difficult by your wording. Yeah, to watch. I just, I, thought I, I just, I was mixing up shit. Yeah, yeah. No, but you're scenes. you're right. I know the exact scene you're talking about. And yes, it's very difficult. It has yeah. In that way, it has a lot in common with Atlanta in terms of racial commentary and Get Out. Even yeah, all the, all the mansion. It's stuff funny because yeah, there's out. definitely a little bit of Get Out in there. But again, like this was being filmed at the same time as Get Out, yeah. so it's not really like no, it's not inspired by each other. It's but, just uh, it, it basically those those two products kind of set the scene for this movie to get released. It kind of in a weird way almost like feels like it's making even more of a comment on society that these movies are coming out like 
tangential of each other it's not like one of them is inspiring the other one it's like no this is obviously real enough of a thing with these race uh relations that different directors different african-american people around the country can all see like the same types of things this was yeah this was not a run-of-the-mill movie in any sense uh and this movie did keep me interested Another issue I had that really, it kind of brought it down a peg for me because by all means, the first act of this movie, I was like, oh, I'm going to love this movie. Yeah. It sets the stage in an incredible way. The script, it's it's interesting that it's an old script because the script to me seemed like it was like a first draft. Like It seemed like a first draft for an incredible movie, but then they never kind of changed it in that scenes are ordered really poorly i okay i do i did yeah. actually have that thought like, where it, that it, that's what i mean about it feels like it was made by somebody by a first-time director yeah. where it is a little bit it feels like there's a couple of scenes which they can either be cut out completely or cut out a couple yeah, of and just things or add an, a little line of dialogue yeah. somewhere and like i said like what this movie lacked particularly in the late late third act was a crescendo of emotion and it, it had it had escalating events, but the emotional impact was really softened by circumstances within the script. I disagree me. a little bit with that, just because I, I found, um, I mean, there are multiple, there are many, many different tonal ideas that we have here in this movie. But I thought that the main, uh, the main message that this movie is trying to tell, uh, kind of, there was one moment in the beginning of the third act where I kind of sat there like while still watching the movie and seeing what was happening, just like questioning everything that I just watched. And then I kind of came to this acceptance by the end of the movie that I was fully on board for it. Um, Really this whole movie, I just kind of was from the very get of the movie, like the very start, I was just along for the ride. And I feel like that's how you have to go into this movie is just be ready for wherever this movie takes you. As a, as a final thought, I'll I'll say that, I wish that the film would have had some sort of indication that that's how I needed to experience it. Mm. Because if there, if there, if the movie would have given me something to be like, okay, you just need to let go and accept the insanity that's about to go down. I may have been a little bit warmer on it, but because there's no, I'm not presented with any sort of, metric as to how to gauge what's happening i'm like trying to follow the surreal along with the natural and the realistic and it just it doesn't mesh as well as it should and you have this basically like love triangle happening with yeah, the main characters that is so inconsequential yeah fizzles, and they, totally fizzles. and they spend like a considerable amount of time on it there's like several scenes that are just about that that's, that's what i meant with the script is there are certain things that are just kind of dead ends and if there was a little more elbow grease put into the script i think this could have been an amazing movie exactly and i think that's why we got to be a little bit harsh on it because it's so ambitious and it's trying to do things that no other movie even yeah. dares to do but it that's just the nature yeah. of it so, so are you saying oh sorry i mean to cut you off but um are you saying that you would have rather for the movie to go just fully into surreal and not kind of teeter yeah. but on the line i yeah no, personally not, that's something that i well, gravitate that, more towards yeah, yeah that that would be nice but i'm not even saying that i just wish it like I, the tone that it was sitting in, I loved. I loved the feel of the movie. I wish it were a better movie. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I do kind of. I kind of loved that. I didn't really know 
where I was in space or time. Like that was just kind of me personally as I'm glad that it still felt somewhat grounded until this thing well, happens in it, the third act. It really seemed and, like Boots Riley was trying to disorient his audience. Yeah, and I mean... And which that, is what happened. That worked and for that's me, why I I liked that. <laughs> but I mean, I guess that's just like a matter of personal yeah. taste. Though. I mean, overall, I if we're going to kind of wrap up our, our spoiler-free thoughts, I'd give this movie like a really solid seven. It's like it's yeah. like a seven point five, like a strong seven. I, yeah. There's a lot of potential here. I'm really excited to see what Boots Riley does next. He, he he's definitely a very very talented yeah, guy. I, a lot of potential. I appreciate that this movie was made, and and I recommend it to anyone because I'd rather see a movie that I found at times I found it really sloppy, sloppily produced, sloppily written, sloppily directed, but it had incredible moments and it had beautiful scenes and it had great ideas. There's so many good touches throughout. And I would rather see that than I would see some of the trailers for movies (laughs) that that we got in these because it was was trailers that were like for, you know, the demographic that's going to watch Sorry to Bother You. And we got these really, really generic looking movies that were like, there were two that centered around uh, police shootings that I saw, two trailers. And the movies looked so generic and so run-of-the-mill that I could tell you the whole plot. This movie plays with those same ideas and those same racial politics and classism and all that, but in such an interesting way that I really appreciate it. Um, I just, I wish that it was a little bit better. <laughs> what would you, uh, would you rate it? I, I think I would give it somewhere around a seven. It's just so I've never seen a movie like this where like there's such great moments. And then there are things that are just viscerally like certain edits and cuts and shots were just viscerally. I'm thinking that just objectively doesn't look good to me. Okay, see, um, I forgot to bring it up, but uh, another thing that almost, uh, one of the influences that, you know, Ernest, you and me saw this movie a little bit early, we saw it as a screener, and uh, one of the things that I thought of while watching the movie, but I forgot about whenever we were talking about movies this reminded me of, is uh, there's a little bit of, like, Pee-wee's Big Adventure in this movie, (laughs) in a really weird way, and just, like, the way that, like... Yeah, like a TV will just like open up and shit, and they're all, like, it's something yeah, that's yeah. very cartoonish. I, I loved that stuff. Yes. It looked practical, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, very motion. cool. Very cool effects in this movie. There's something about the style of this movie that I, I know this is a movie with lots of qualms, um, but I kind of can't wait to rewatch it still. Just to, and I feel like this is a movie that. Knowing where it goes, I'm interested to see uh, how it ages with rewatches and everything, uh, seeing if those tones do kind of tie together a little bit, knowing how everything climaxes. I'd probably give this movie like a strong 7.5 to a light 8. Yeah. I I think I'm a little bit higher on it just because this is, I've never seen a movie like this before. Yeah, we're in the same ballpark. And I, yeah, we all appreciate the ambition of this movie. Well, that's something we can say. And I'd rather people see this than something that's not ambitious. Go see this and not fucking Skyscraper, okay, guys? (laughs) Yeah, like, Like, that's not an ambitious movie. People think that movies like that are ambitious because of their scale, but they're not. No, no way. This is definitely way more ambitious than anything. This is an interesting movie. It may have. I'll plenty of issues. I don't know if scary. I could recommend this movie to everybody. Well, oh, I'll, hell I'll no, say, dude. I'll, no, say, no I'll say see it if you value supporting bold, original yeah. filmmaking. That's the thing. Yeah. I would rather more risky movies get made like this. This movie felt like it was always on the edge of collapsing, and that's something I really liked. Like, yeah. At any given moment, yeah. I was like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. Am I going to hate this or love it? Yeah. 
All right, let's get into spoilers for Sorry to Bother You, starting in now. Yeah. So, horse people. <laughs> first e- of all, sapiens. First of all, I, this movie, I'm assuming, was relatively low budget. They looked horrible. They looked bad. They looked like puppets. Yes, it was but practical. Yeah, I, I it was practical, and I I kind of like their look that they looked so. What about the giant horse penis? I like that. Lot of, I like the design swan. of them, but the execution. I wanted I, to buy into them. I like that, but they look like monstrosities. So, which I feel like is what they were missing. So here here's where I stand with this. The whole time with the movie, I was like, I don't know how to feel about this. I don't know what this movie's trying to to to, to do or say. It, it's trying to do so much. It's it's like all over the place. When that shit happens, when we get Army Hammer taking a ginormous line <laughs> cocaine that, that was takes awesome. over That's amazing. the that was entire so frame, yeah. and then you have this party sequence that leads into the the scene like that that scene that they have in his office. And they watch that video, and then that's get out right there. Yeah, dude, that that's, scene. It's, yeah, and then you go into the the room where the the horse people are being stored, dude. Everything changed for me there. I was like, okay, this movie is doing the thing. Finally, I I am I am all in now. Mm. But it just sucks that it took like so long to get there. Yeah, for me, it's yeah, and I. I liked the concept of it. I really did. Um, the look of the things just took well, you out the, of the it. The look was an issue for me because, like, I get, the, like, I liked the design, like I said, but they looked like props to me. Um, but bigger than that was just the issue of, like, how the script played out from that point. Because that idea, I love. Like, it's, yeah. it's over the top, it's crazy, and it plays into the plot, and I like it. And then. It just seemed like it kind of meandered to get to the fucking point after that where he keeps on talking about how he did the cocaine, which obviously pays off in the very end. And he's talking to Tessa Thompson. And, and then, then they, there's the riot. And then they, well, and then he fucks Tessa Thompson and they're just like chilling for a while. Yeah, okay. And so it's like, what's going on? Like, so, um, are you going to die? <laughs> before, we, before we move on, because there's several different storylines we can talk about which ones work together, which ones don't. But just going back to that party scene. The scene where it's just they're like sitting there, um, the and they're N-word like, make chant. you, yeah, make you. They're like, before that happens, they're like, oh, yeah, you can rap, right? Yeah, no, man, tell us some street stories. Tell yeah. us some stories about you on the street. It's just like, oh, yeah, I mean, I don't really have any stories. And they're like, come on, we we know you, your type of people. We know you have street stories. You they're like, rap. oh, yeah, you know you can rap. He's like, no, I actually can't rap. And then he gets up there, and he tries to rap, and it's like embarrassing. And he's just like, inward shit, inward shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over <laughs> and over. then all this, like, this mob of white people chanting it back it's it hurt to watch yeah. like it was it was one of the most difficult things to watch yeah. mm. it was yeah difficult shits as i would say <laughs> <laughs> that was great i love the entire party scene i army hammer stunning in this movie <laughs> this amazing. may be his best yeah. performance and forget all the other practical effects I want to know the practical effect of how he snorted that line. Dude. Yeah, Because he didn't snort that line. There's no way. Even if he just snorted, like, vitamin B or still, something. You still can't the snort fucking, that line. No one has those lungs. His, the breath. He has Ethan Hawk, Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible 5 lungs no, holding his breath. Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk in First Reformed yeah. lungs. The, yeah. But though, that's though, all those scenes were really good. The movie had really, really solid visuals throughout. Like they, it looked very cool. It had an aesthetic. It had a solid 
uh, tonal look to it that like played into how the movie was uh, trying to portray itself. This movie, it was just throwing so much shit at you the whole time. Yeah. So many, so many different things are happening that like when it all came together at the end, the very end, not to jump forward, is where I kind of lost it, where the climax of the movie were introduced to the fact that he's making horse people and they're slaves and all this stuff. And then the climax takes place back at the picket line. And I was confused. You know what I mean? Like, it just goes back to the picket line, and they're like, if we stop these people at this picket line, everything will be well, better. And the it's whole like, thing why? kind of goes into the main metaphor, which is like the workhorse metaphor, where that doesn't matter if it's you, like racially, like whether you're a black person, if you're just the lowest person at a minimum wage job, like a telemarketer, or if you're literally a fucking horse person. It's like just these people who are considered the lowest part of the totem pole in society are the workhorses. Yeah. I just felt it was kind of backtracking narrative wise to be like, all right, the end has to be back at the picket well, line. Where- it's, it just plays into all of the narrative threads, not being connected well, because, okay, you have Lakeith doing his telemarketing. Then you have the whole background stuff of um, what, what's the, the corporation called the, we, Oh, um, I totally forgot what they're called. Whatever Army Hammer's company is mm-hmm. called, that's all going on in the background. Then you have Tessa Thompson being a artist and then being part of like the revolution somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her and character then, is very much benefited by being played by Tessa Thompson yeah. because otherwise <laughs> that's a very shallow character. And yeah, yeah. And she then, was great though, man. Yeah, and then she you, so you have all these threads that like barely, barely even come together. But, you know, I just... It could have it could have been worse, but that's why I felt so kind of pulled apart during the movie because I was trying to follow all of these things. And if if the movie would have just been about Lakeith in that company ascending and discovering crazy shit, that would have been way better. But it's trying to juggle all these. Yeah, other I things. mean, really, my biggest qualm with the movie was the love trio i just feel like the love triangle was really forced and became so inconsequential and, oh, like yeah it literally well, just gets completely and, dismissed like it doesn't and matter the thing with it is is those actors are really great actors and their characters are like it fits like it made sense and they developed this love triangle so it made sense to the story but it just didn't go it almost anywhere. feels like there was like a deleted scene in there yeah, of that like being some kind of a level of conflict yeah like, i almost I, wonder if that was a pacing I issue i mean we, we mentioned this but, when we were talking outside the theater but there's a there's the scene when they're smoking that joint outside the bar and Lakeith's friends are like being mean to yeah, Tessa Thompson. Exactly. And I was like, what? Yes. Yeah, since, since when are they mean to her? Exactly. There are a lot of little moments like that that are like, wait, 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 wait. We don't know about that. It almost yeah. seems like it was deleted scenes because it was like a pacing issue, but then it's cutting out portions of the plot that we need. Exactly. There, there were a lot of little moments like that. That's why I said it it felt like a great first draft. Like it felt like an, the best first draft script ever that never got developed. You know what I mean? Yeah, it never went it, anywhere. There are just so many ideas that I really think I like, like, like you said, he said he wanted it to be about a lot of stuff and it could have been, but it needed to focus a little more because of the surreal nature of it. 
Maybe it just needed like 15 minutes to be like 15 minutes longer to like add a little little bits, longer just little... or just cut out one of the like it's just it's hard to follow because you think the movie's about one thing and it has the thing is it has messages but then it it abandons them and in favor of a different one and then there's a different one. Yeah, the the messages don't really come across like, as well as they should. Yeah, because They're it is convoluted. It's a movie about classism for for like probably more than half of it is about classism mm-hmm. it's about the divide between the rich and the poor and how the proletariat are being a you, you know all that stuff and it's doing a pretty good job of that and then you get the party scene and it's all about racism all of a sudden yeah and then you get uh all this other love triangle stuff and that's just about something completely different and, it, and then you get the sci-fi other stuff which that plays into the classism and that they're making them into literal creatures but I'm I'm just I was left to be like what is this I know it's about a lot of things but I want it to resolve itself if it's if it's going to be about a lot you got to tie it up at the end. And I think at a certain point you start to wonder like okay yeah the movie is bringing up all of these fucked up issues with our society and then what? What what about them? Yeah. Like what what is it about all these fucked up Man, things? Dude. Unions, very pro union. <laughs> that's the message of this movie is very really, pro union. That's the closest thing that I can think of. And, yeah. and ultimately it's just about, it's like, I feel okay, like so it comes down to like, <laughs> uh, like kind of unification against uh, some higher power. That's kind of what it's trying to say it's just, about this it's whole. It's just very. Muddy. It is a little bit muddled. It's very I, I, muddled. I won't argue. Yeah, with it's that. about the abuse, and I think they could have done more with the arc of. Lakeith betraying himself and especially betraying Tessa Thompson's principles because that's a a really interesting plot line. It's been done before, but it it works of him selling out because he wants to have a personal journey of success and her being like, well, what about the journey of the whole world? Her being kind of zoomed out. That was really working and then they kind of just left it. So um, uh, a couple of other things that I loved specifically about Tessa Thompson, her whole art exhibit that she does it was really cool. they're like fucking throwing blood on yeah. her and her shit. earrings they and, kept changing. okay no um so fun fact about those earrings because those earrings are like an mvp of the movie so uh uh i don't know if you guys know this about how making a film at sundance works but before you actually make the movie at sundance you go to these different workshops and stuff this is uh referring to the boots uh riley interview that i was listening to um and one of the things he went to was uh this like uh writing uh script writing thing and he kind of took his story there and all these other like famous directors were kind of looking at his scripts and everything and he was actually talking to spike jones and spike jones told him no matter what you do make your characters wear the exact same costumes in every scene so that way you can kind of figure out the movie in the editing room and you can kind of move stuff around and he was so instead he did the opposite of that and he gave all the characters different outfits in every single scene literally every scene yeah like he kind of boots riley guy made this as like almost an anti-film which is yeah. I almost one of the reasons why I like it is just because it is so against the grain so weird, of man. Yeah. anything else you'll see. It doesn't necessarily come together, but I, I, tried, I don't think that he tried to do something different. I don't think that that was even necessarily what he's going for. Which I'm not kind of excusing it being incoherent at times. Yeah, but it's it's definitely punk rock, like the movie is. It's it's anti-establishment. Uh, at the core, that is the one consistent thread with the whole movie, for the most part, is that the movie is about fuck the system, basically. Um, Which I think is one of the reasons why I really don't like the love triangle, because that's the most movie thing that's in this movie. Yeah, and I, and I, I don't know. I think it could have worked. This movie seemed like it was fighting itself. 
this movie it, it was about fighting the system but it was like fighting with itself within the movie where it's like no we're about this now no we're about this yeah. now it, it couldn't decide what it wanted to be about yeah and that's i i mean i love i love ambition and I can't, it's hard to even criticize a first-time director, except for the fact that we went out and we, you know, paid money and saw the movie. Yeah. He's so, and he, I mean, he got it made. Like that's bigger than what anyone else can yeah, say. Yeah, and it's it's out there, and it is in the middle of a moment that's conducive to material like this, and it plays with ideas that are way more important than most movies that we see, which are like. Any Mission Impossible movie is not dealing with anything heavy. Oh, no You know way. what I mean? No way. <laughs> like, they're they're well made and everything, but this movie had the gunpowder... This movie had straight dynamite in it thematically. Like, it was about big, 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 big things, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I think, you know, on one hand, under the, the guidance of a more experienced director, it wouldn't have been as punk rock. It wouldn't have been as, as weird and crazy and, and just messy like he wanted it to be and then on the other hand i'm really excited to see what boots riley does does next like this movie even though it's very very flawed you can't deny that this dude has fucking talent and potential oh yeah i mean if he can kind of keep up this style i'm i almost i really really hope that he kind of continues in his movies to draw to just walk this fine line between surrealism and reality because i i really love that and i think that it takes practice to kind of perfect that art of teetering back and forth i mean wes anderson always kind of does this i mean when you look at something like life aquatic or anything like that that's just like so stylized but it feels oddly grounded in some kind of Mm -hmm. weird way that's very unique to the director i think if boots can do that um then i just i can't wait to see what he has you have you seen bottle rocket yet no i haven't okay because man watch it life aquatic life aquatic is what like five or six movies in or something like that you, you start to get the sense that, like, he had to work up to that. Right. So imagine what Boots Riley's going to look like five movies in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can't wait to see what he, he has in his future. He's going to get work past this because this movie had potential through the roof. And he has potential through the roof. I hope people see it, man. Like, if you're if you're out there listening you like this movie and you saw it or you're just... It's coming out in a really rough time. Like, yeah. I'm kind of questioning, like, why they would release this and... I don't know. In the middle of the July. Summer. I mean, it, it worked. I was happy as it came out now because it's very against the grain of every other movie oh, that's coming yeah. out over the summer. But it there isn't just a bunch of film buffs going to the movies and giving right. it money. Like if it would have come out in September, October after summer season, I think it would have performed yeah, this, a lot better. Another another something I really pay attention to when I'm at the movies is the energy of the audience. And that was something I really felt with this movie is like we were mostly on the same page. There was a lot of laughter. It's a funny movie. Uh, The emotional beats were working for the first act. The end of the movie did not play well with my audience. They they didn't like it. I could feel that like leaving. It was the type of movie where everyone left immediately and (laughs) and they had a look on their face that was not very. And that's kind of how I felt like I left being like, I mean, those things are rough to look at, man. Well, not not even not just that, but just it didn't feel like it ended. It didn't feel like it, it just didn't feel done. It felt like, well. It also kind <laughs> of felt like, like a different endings. ending than yeah. It felt yeah. like 
two different endings. I mean, I definitely. Yeah, that that is true. But it just didn't feel... Even after the second one, to me, it didn't feel like the movie was over. I felt like I wanted to know more. So I don't ever take cinema score seriously because I think that's a fucking horrible metric. But I'm kind of curious to know what the cinema score is for this movie because I could see a lot of people walking out well, this I'm, movie, like average moviegoers. I'm looking up the point. box office right now and it's struggling oh. to break even a million. Oh, I knew that wasn't going to make any money. But I was kind of... I don't even know if it's... Like, I don't know how many people even have to go see it for it to actually have, like, a cinema score that you can look up. But I could see this having just, like, a D or something like that because people walk out and so many people are just checked out as soon as they see fucking horse sapiens, equisapiens. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. It, It wasn't about that. That wasn't what put me off. It was the lack of narrative cohesion especially lack of lack of a through line yeah yeah and but at the same time the stark contrast between that and the trailers that i saw that dealt with similar themes like movies need to be made about these issues like as particularly right now this Mm -hmm. is the time for movies about this stuff to be made yeah imagine if more big time directors like fucking i don't know like ridley scott or someone like that were making movies as weird and unique unique and ambitious as this yeah exactly it's something completely else and i appreciate this movie do you think there's any chance this could get like maybe a little bit of cinematography or even no directing way. love no it's way. it's so raw like it has really high highs and it has whoever wasn't was in charge of costuming absolutely nailed it yeah the color powder of the movie is really really great um uh, army hammers like skirt yeah yeah type thing <laughs> that was awesome Exactly. Yeah. The whole entire costuming is incredible and it it really has a great look to it. But there's there are shots in this movie that I thought were horrible and cuts that I thought were so like it's just it's one of those visceral things where I couldn't even put my finger on it but just watching, you know, endless hours of shit my entire life just led me to believe like I would look at a certain cut and it was it wasn't supposed to be like a jarring thing. There were plenty that were supposed to be but it was just cuts where it was one thing to another yeah. thing. And it was like, it was, wow, that was bad. It was <laughs> cool seeing the way they visualized the the telemarketing, where he actually drops into yes, I the, loved that. the yeah, room love that. That, that of the person he's talking Another to. Another thing that I loved was the way that they visualized the gold elevator. Like every oh, day yeah, they the like keypad. walk past it, look at and Mister Blank. <laughs> mm, like I yeah. loved him. Dude, Another he, like his, his whole... facial hair is just like Boots Riley. Really? With I didn't the know weird, that. like, mutton chops? Yeah. I didn't know that. Another great performance in this was Kate Berlant, who played, like, the uh, the new manager. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's hilarious. Yeah, she was great. Hey, man, uh, Terry Crews. Yeah. He had a couple scenes. Hey, he there. had probably the most cohesive uh, side plot. He was basically the dad from Everybody Hates hey, Chris. We uh, we totally forgot to mention the picture of Lakeith's dad that kept changing. <laughs> yes, that was, the I love that. that. I did, really, I did cool. really enjoy that. Mm hmm. There's a lot of like, I mean, if we were going through like all the cool like stylistic things that are blurring this line between reality and surrealism, I mean, there's uh, so many. In almost like every scene of this movie, there's different kinds of stuff like that. What did you guys think of like the headband with the blood splatter on it? Because he wears that in the poster. Mm. I liked it. I mean, I kind of, I it felt very. Another thing that, um, we were kind of talking about coming out of this movie is that it felt very uh, Black Mirror in some ways. Like, a little bit. Uh, in the way that it kind of, uh, almost like a, um, 
50 million merits um, yeah 500 million whatever yeah it is. 50 million 50 million merits um where there's this whole like tv is kind of just the ultimate lowest common denominator of just like beating the shit out of each other is just like the oh, most with popular the entertainment with and everything the, yeah. between that and then this guy who's like trying to break through in some kind of a way like he's getting all the money he can so that he can find a way to yeah. break through um i i i enjoyed that um it felt kind of very uh very pertinent commentary for like kind of what we as a society really look for because it almost feels like we're progressing more and more towards this kind of such dumb dumbed down entertainment i mean drew you talked earlier about how like this british show can't translate over to american audiences just because they're not smart enough for it yeah it's kind of sad that the notion of like a corporation offering indentured indentured servitude and like slavery doesn't seem too far no it really doesn't seem like (laughs) like, whenever it's like it's introduced it's just like this feels like a very black mirror concept but like it yeah. feels like it's not yeah. that far like off fast the forward 15 20 yeah. years yeah. And- i i really i wanted this movie to be more about classism like that um because and also the uh the the setting of uh san francisco and oakland is perfect because that literally is the most <laughs> like divided economically city yeah. in america just if you cross the bay you're dropping an income about a hundred thousand dollars um like, yeah i mean between this and black panther Oakland's having a little bit of a moment. Yeah. And the Warriors, I guess, if we're really just speaking broad yeah, but, culturally. Yeah, but people in Oakland can't even afford to go to a Warriors game. Right. It's so expensive. <laughs> That's, I think, yeah, I think there's so much good stuff happening in this movie that criticizing it is is kind of mean because I'd rather this movie get made than whatever the well, fuck I, else. Well, I'll reiterate that like the reason why I feel it's important to point out all of its flaws and shortcomings is because... It was trying to be so ambitious and so out there. If this was just like fucking skyscraper all shot in front of a green screen, then like yeah. it's not even worth talking about, you I, know? One thing I will say is I have this movie. I said it was probably like a 7.5 to an 8 for me, but right now this is currently in my top 10 of the year. I might, I might be able to fit it. We'll I, see. Even if... I don't necessarily think that this is a great movie. There is parts of this movie that I truly love. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would, on my list, I would probably put this above all, all of the Marvel movies easily. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's bold. It's original. It's, it's creative. Yeah. Unique. Weird as hell. Um, but we, we gotta, we gotta call it a night guys. We gotta <laughs> wrap it up. Um, it's been a long pod. I don't think we wanted to talk as much as, about Mission Impossible as we did, but that's just the way of the of the Tom. Well, I in mean, these parts talking about the greatest actor of all time. Yeah, so, mm. yeah, the the living movie star legend that we all deserve. We ride for Tom Cruise and Army Hammer, and in that way, <laughs> we're woke. But uh, yeah, you can uh, you can find more episodes of Wabam on my website at CalderonErnest dot uh, com. And check us out on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at We Bought a Mike. And email us mm-hmm. at We at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of the weird uh, horse movie and uh, <laughs> Mission Impossible. Um, yeah, send us questions, suggestions, thoughts, comments, hate mail. We haven't talked about hate mail in a while. Never got that hate mail. Did yeah, we? I mean, we're just too beloved by so many people. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter and Letterbox at Hunt Mobley. Um, yeah, do it. I'm at Drew D I E T 
Z-E-N. Pretty much everywhere. Um, and yeah, get on my website, uh, lemonparty.org. We have a short film coming soon. An honestly media yeah. original production. Yeah, yeah. I, it's probably not great no good i i wrote yeah i wrote a short film recently and it was produced as part of a class uh so the director is not a member of honestly media and he dropped the ball but sorry Mm. wow kyle's probably listening right now you're listening kyle you did a good job i'm fucking with you kyle we just want to we don't want to blame ourselves but (laughs) we we had a good time we all collaborated on this film and it'll probably be the greatest short film ever made by uh a, a small yeah call and state college and if anyone listening to this watches that film i'm gonna be, feel really dumb for criticizing any movie ever <laughs> <laughs> because you're gonna see what i got and it's not great well i mean you you only wrote it and you held yeah. a light yeah i held lights and yeah. booms i was the energy guy hunter and i acted in it it was yep. it was fun yeah we'll, co-stars. Uh, hopefully it'll see the light of day maybe we'll send it to some festivals or I'm something think, yeah. yeah dude <laughs> I've got yeah, Ab- man. I've got, Film Festival. I have Apatow on line two and Sorkin on line three. Uh, line yeah. one, I can't even tell you their name is so big, but okay. Right. Um, yeah, what do we got next week? Eighth grade, hopefully. Eighth grade, if it is actually released in Orlando. And, uh, um, Mama Mia Mama too. Mia. Here we go, Here we again. go again. Yeah, I wish I would have had some Abba. Um, like. What queued up? Queued up. up. Oh, be, dude, man, it would be so easy to put on Apple if you what, really wanted what to. Waste. Maybe next week. Yeah, right. may, maybe, maybe right. not. Thanks for listening. We Bye. love you. Bye.